I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as Dead-Eyed Elves, Krampus, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. Happy holidays, everybody. Grab your eggnog and cozy up by the fire, because we're going to talk about violence and naked dudes. Uh, yeah, it's true, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in for our Christmas 2021 episode, which we're recording on December the 18th. I know it's been a while since we put one out. It was the uh, the Halloween episode, right? Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of shit going on, so work and get ready for the holidays, family visiting. My mom was nice. You, unfortunately, she's home now and better, so that's that's good, so... It's been a while. Yeah. And tornadoes. And uh, for uh, anybody who's uh, lost uh, someone or something in the recent outbreak, uh, this goes out to y'all. That sucks ass. But uh, it was really close to uh, us and some of our family. So, yeah, that's some crazy shit. I got to explain a lot of weather pattern information and science to my eight-year-old son. He was watching, you know, the news while the sirens are going off with me, like trying to understand what was going on. I'm like, All right, I guess we're just going to explain everything. This, this is how it works. <laughs> You don't end up in Oz. Did you watch Twister after? No, we should have, though. <laughs> Let me go through the news and stuff real quick because we're out of practice and uh, <laughs> probably going to go on a lot longer than normal. And I just want to preface this with I'm recording at home in my little computer gaming area, which consists of part of the dining room with a soundproof blanket. So if there's some background noises, eh, shit happens. I got family here. All right. So news. I only put a few things on here that jumped out to me because it's been a couple of months and I don't want to inundate everybody with a bunch of information, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's some new info here. The trailer came out for the new movie, which is produced by Fidi Alvarez. And it was just a teaser, but it looked dark and it looked solid and looked like it was ready to rock. And he did do the Evil Dead remake, which is one of the best remakes in the history of, yes. of film, I think. And they're ignoring every Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie except for the original one. So it's the new part two, just like Halloween 2018 was. And if you're going to reboot old movies with shitty sequels, I think that's kind of a cool way to do it. Yes, much better, except for Terminator. That did not work for that franchise. <laughs> and if I had to guess what's going on in the movie there, I would assume he hasn't really killed anybody since the kids broke into his house. And he's got new kids on his property. And he's breaking out the old chainsaw for old time's sake. So what it kind of looked like, because there was a new group of kids in the same old property, and he had his chainsaw, like, hidden in a wall. Damn college kids. <laughs> college kids! <laughs> in other Texas Chainsaw Massacre information, this, this could go one way or the other, but there's a new game coming out from the same team that made the Friday the 13th game, where one person plays as Jason, and the other people play as the counselors. It's asymmetrical, like Dead by Daylight. I didn't like it as much, but the graphics were amazing for it. And the special effects work and the mocap work done with Kane Hodder for all the kills and stuff was really neat. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with this. And Kane Hodder gets to be Leatherface. Oh, nice. Because he's already done mocap with them before. So why not do it again? And... I don't know. It wasn't a bad game. I didn't enjoy it as much as Dead by Daylight, but it couldn't get updates from like launch day one because of the um, rights going in flux. Yep. So who knows what it could have been had the game not basically been canceled the day it came out. Hey, it looks good sitting on the shelf. <laughs> I actually own it. I streamed it on Friday the 13th when I used to stream video games regularly. All my viewers immediately wanted me to go back to Dead by Daylight, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Speaking of Dead by Daylight, they have been doing a 
every other release has been a licensed killer for the past little bit, right? So it'll be original one and then a licensed one, and they're a few months apart usually, right? Like two or three? Okay. And there was a big leak on the next original killer and the next licensed killer. And the original one, when it came out two months later, was 100% accurate. But the leaked licensed killer was the nine from oh. the Conjuring verse. And that would have been cool. Or everybody thought it was. I, I'm trying to remember if like we saw the nun, or if everybody thought that it was the nun, because the map looked like the Conjuring House and stuff, right? Okay. But they just announced the new one, and there wasn't very much information on it, or very many like graphics to show of it, uh, which makes me think that maybe they got asked to put the nun on the back burner and go with another licensed killer. But the new one's gonna be Ringu, not the American Ring, the original Japanese one. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just have to see. Kind of neat, though, because that'll be creepy. You have a little creepy ghost girl on that game. And speaking of the Conjuring verse, apparently James Wan has a produced horror show called Archive 81 coming out, and it's like a found footage show, and it's going to be on Netflix in January. Yeah, yeah. I heard about that yesterday. So As did I, from the wife. <laughs> <laughs> it must have just got announced or something. We usually find that stuff about the same time. As far as announcements go... Josh and I are going to meet up right after Christmas and try to go ahead and plan out the season in one go, which is something we've never done before. And if anybody has any ideas of stuff you would like to see, go ahead and send an email to sbspodcast at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do if it fits into some ideas that we have. Yeah, because this may be closing out year three, but uh, we are coming back for year four, fuckers. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> we're also thinking about setting up a Patreon and some other types of extra content because people have asked us via email. So if you have any ideas of things that you would like to see on a Patreon or things we could do on the side, send us ideas. We thought about doing things like Mystery Science Theater style, like set the cameras up on us while we're on the couch drinking. And you can't see the movie due to copyright reasons, but you can hear it a little bit and listen to us just kind of make fun of schlock films. We thought that might be kind of funny. Yeah, and to the people that keep sending us uh, OnlyFans requests, we're family. We we can't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's not happening. But other extra content we might be interested in doing, and hopefully I'm making some shorts soon that we can start throwing up on YouTube. So it's a lot of work, though. This updates and corrections list is going to be fantastic because I'm using my shorthand from two months ago. Nice. Okay. And one of them I really don't know <laughs> what it means. <laughs> So I got little Mikey beats the kid to death with a tree branch in the woods, not a baseball bat. So I'm assuming I said something about him beating him with a baseball bat. And I'm like, wait a minute, that was a tree limb. And I oh. caught it and at it, right? Okay. And to be clear, the boyfriend was not actually Burt McCracken. <laughs> but I don't think I said it in a way that sounded like I was joking. So to me, it sounded like I either actually thought it was Burt McCracken and I was telling you all that, or it was going to be perceived that I thought it was actually Burt. But I was just being facetious. It was just a guy with long hair. And he was kind of greasy looking. It was kind of mean, but <laughs> I don't know. It fit. Came out at the time. Hey, I got it. You asked about the specifics of Make-A-Wish. <laughs> I did. Right? <laughs> and I was track, trying to track down that guy's interview because I watched so many videos. And I found a different interview with the guy on it. And then I went to the Make-A-Wish site to read the specifics. But it's from ages 2 to 18. You can claim your wish at any time in that time frame, and everything's kept confidential. So, like, you couldn't get the guy's name or anything like that. And I'm assuming he was probably 17 or 18 or something, and he was just, like, friends that we grew up with and had a full beard by mid-teenage years. Oh, okay. And you do not have to be terminal, just ill. Oh, I did not know that. So, I didn't know that either. Here's the interesting one. I randomly have German guy <laughs> as a correction. 
I don't know what it was. I got nothing. Were there any German guys in the last episode? (laughs) (laughs) So Udo Kier is in Rob Zombie's Halloween, and he is Loomis's boss. And that's the guy. He's German. You know, he was in Blade. (laughs) He was Dragonetti or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I said he was from a different country. Oh, okay. Now I'm picturing him. I remember talking about Loomis being goofy and dancing with somebody and humping somebody. Maybe I said it was the wrong person, but it's him and Udo Kier that's behind the scenes doing a bunch of crazy shit together that's really funny. Okay. So maybe it was that, but German guy, everybody. Would you like some sauerkraut? German guy, German guy. Jesus. (laughs) And the last thing I have on here, I guess I was talking about there being famous horror actresses with cameos in the movie and, and some of them getting cut. The main one that got cut was Adrian Barbeau was the famous horror actress with the cut scene, I believe from the hospital that I mentioned, which is kind of ironic because she's John Carpenter's ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And actually I put on my notes cut segment, which means my whole conversation about that part got cut from the episode. <laughs> so it wasn't even actually in there, but worth noting that Adrian Barbeau was in the movie. Cool deal. Any updates or corrections from you? Uh, No updates and corrections, but I am going to take this opportunity to do something that we didn't do because things didn't go exactly as planned and uh, do a a quick little Halloween Horror Nights review. Okay. So if you were a long timer, you, you had a good year. There was a lot of fan service to the past, and that's how anniversary years are, and that's what I was warned about. This was our first legit anniversary year. We thought it was going to be knocked out of the park because of not being open last year. Um, Overall, probably the worst year I've experienced so far, but I'm saying it from that angle because I'm not, I wasn't there for the 10th anniversary and the 20th anniversary, but the Beetlejuice house was friggin' awesome. It was worth it just for that. And of the original houses, Wicked Growth was the best original house. It was actually the most immersive house that was there. Uh, Scare zones were pretty meh. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Simon. If you happen to have decided to listen to us and you're catching this, he actually, we ran into him in the very first line and he stayed with us all the way till three o'clock in the fucking morning. <laughs> cool dude. Uh, told us a story about uh, him, him and his girlfriend traveling cross country is how he ended up there on motorcycles until she hit a deer. Okay. Yeah. And he made sure she was okay in the hospital with some broken bones and continued his road trip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, that is crazy, in case though. anyone was wondering, we did make it this year and uh, that's how it was. All right. What we watched, I'm sure I watched a lot more than this since the last episode, but Things that stood out. I've been watching the Hawkeye show in Disney Plus. Season finale is Wednesday. It's been pretty good. Okay. I like all the shows, but it's it's Christmas in a diehard kind of way. So it's kind of nice. Nice. Dexter New Blood has came back since we recorded the last. And yeah, there's only a couple of episodes left. And it's been really good. Yes. Agreed. The last episode so far was the most feels towards old Dexter to me. Yeah. It's like it's this weird slow crawl back to where we all know it has to get and it's taking its time and at first it was like oh come on get there and then it's like no 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 they're doing it on purpose and and it's 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 beginning to work yeah and in some cases i don't really like harrison that much but i think i'm not supposed to i don't think he's a bad actor i think they're making you not like him i keep going back and forth man i'm i'm still undecided on that I just hope the plan's not to give him his own spinoff show. That would be dumb. Because he doesn't have, like, the charisma 
of Dexter. Like that's part of what makes it is, is that actor playing that role. And it's a lot of fun to watch him do it. So I haven't seen him in a whole lot of stuff outside of Dexter, but he really nails Dexter. I've also been watching Wheel of Time on Amazon with my wife, and that is based off of a fantasy book series. It's kind of like their Game of Thrones. It's okay. It's getting a little bit more interesting right now, but it's worth checking out if you have Amazon Prime and you like fantasy shows. It's just slower than Game of Thrones. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know of it because Ginger's fixing to start watching it, and her sister has read all the books and shit, so she's really into it. You might like it. Uh, she's probably really going to like it such so like Legend of the Seeker. It, oh. it kind of has that same vibe, but more serious. Oh, then I may actually, unless it's too serious, I may actually like it. It's pretty serious. It's got some cool stuff. There's just a lot of lull time right now, but it's because... You know, a lot of shows and books like Game of Thrones and stuff like that will have like a main group of characters and then they get separated and they have to tell all their separate stories and they get back together. Uh, This one starts out with the characters getting separated 20 minutes into the first episode. Okay. So you have a lot of separate stories going on and it's cutting back and forth and some of them are more interesting than others. But now before the season finale, we have everyone together. So it's time for shit hits the fan. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Speaking of things that are fun. Chucky, the TV show. (laughs) I finished it last night. I was like a week or two behind. It is not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but it's fun. And it had a good story and it didn't come off as cheesy. I'm a couple of Chucky movies behind. Like I haven't seen Colt and Curse of. Right. Oh, wow. And I might not even saw Seed of Chucky. I can't remember. Um, So I was missing some pieces I had to get filled in on. But I mean, it is made by Mancini. He is in charge of the show. He writes a lot of them. And there's a lot of characters from the other movies. I don't want to spoil anything that have made it back into the show at some capacity. And it's it's just been neat. And the, uh, they did a good job with the puppet. Oh, yeah. I I, I, uh, I haven't actually sat and watched a lot of it. I've caught a few episodes with the wife. And what I've seen, it's, it's kind of one of those where it's like, it's about what I expected. But like, where else? H- how else could it play out? And uh, yeah. And it's a, it, it's not full blown meta, but like you're saying with the tie ins, it's it's kind of aware and uh, it's good for what it is. I can't shit on it. The practical effects have been great. Some of the CGI was really questionable. It's got pretty bad CGI at times. I'm assuming they didn't have the budget for it. And I kind of wish they would have just rewrote scenes to be more practical if it was going to look that way. But I don't know what kind of time frame they're working on and COVID and all that good stuff. Yeah, so, but definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. And last night I watched the Slumber Party Massacre remake that oh, was made God. on my channel. And I kept seeing people talk about how amazing it was online. And it has a fucking hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And I watched it. It was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, it depends what you think you're going in there for. When you can tell that they're making fun of <laughs> exploitive shit from the original one, it's kind of funny to see it. Okay. But outside of that little vacuum they did a lot of original stuff in there that was fucking awesome. Okay. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It has some parts just like the original one and it sets it up that way, but it turns the whole exploitation of women thing on its head. Cause it's written and directed by women, just like all the other ones were right. But they don't have Corman telling them what they have to do. <laughs> and there's cliche things that they made the girls do at the slumber party that they have a group of guys doing. Oh, okay. Like, it's really like, you see how ridiculous it looks now when we have guys having a pillow fight, (laughs) right? And stuff like that. So it's really funny. But on top of that, it does something completely different while still being Slumber Party Massacre. Okay. So no fucks given, but still, still goes. Right. Yeah. I can see why everybody really digged it because they, 
figured out a good way to redo an old movie and make fun of stuff from a different time, but in a really funny way. Okay, I'll have to check it out. A lot different from what I've heard about the most recent Black Christmas remake, which I haven't seen yet. So, <laughs> um, last couple of things, because I know this segment's really long right now. I have been watching the Harry Potter series with my son. He's eight. I've been trying to get him to watch them with me for years, and he'll watch them in pieces, and he'll kind of get bored. Apparently, eight was the age where it just kind of all sunk in, other than trying to explain time travel and okay. Prisoner Azkaban. He can't wrap his head around time travel, but we got the Deathly Hollows movies left to go, and he's really into it, so that's been kind of fun to sit down and do that with him. Nice. And Witcher Season 2 started last night, so my wife and I have already watched about half of it, and it's fucking phenomenal. All right. We haven't watched any of that yet. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't too, too hot on the first one, but I know the wife's going to watch the second one, so we'll see. <laughs> I will say there's a lot more monsters, like creepier monsters for him to fight, and the story seems to be evolving faster. And Henry Cavill talked them into letting Geralt speak more like he did in the video games in the book instead of just grunting and saying fuck over and over again. <laughs> so it, it's kind of developed more, but it's, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So what have you watched? All right. I've got uh, Till Death, which is currently streaming on something. I don't remember if we watch it on Netflix or, uh, Netflix, or Amazon. Right. That's okay. the one with uh, Megan Fox, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do I put this? The, uh, the idea is really good, but then okay. it goes into some things that are so illogical that it's hard to keep watching the movie. <laughs> I saw the opening scene and then something happened one day and I couldn't finish it that day. And I just haven't had time to go back and watch it. But I don't know. The premise seemed really neat on the previews and I'm, I'm probably still going to check it out. You recommend at least just give it a shot. If yeah. I, yeah. If especially watch one day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Especially anybody that's into home invasion. They'll, they'll dig it. Yeah. Totally not horror, but got to bring it up. Free guy was pretty cool. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Uh, now here's something that wasn't cool. Uh, paranormal activity next of kin. Um, <laughs> did I talk about that on the last one? I don't remember, man, but I made it halfway through and did not care anymore and couldn't even finish the movie. Oh, finish it at least. Well, I woke up towards the very end and and saw the very end, and I, I didn't really feel like okay, I okay. anything. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I don't like it being done with a bigger budget because you can tell they tried to get. You didn't really see the better budget and like the effects. They just tried to go more like professional style with it, and I don't really think it fits that genre. No, I do like the idea they had to not have to go back to using Toby and made it where we can have different paranormal activity stories that have nothing to do with Toby and at work and fit in to the mythos. That was cool. That I'm okay with. And then the actors were decent and it had some good scares in it, but there was a lot of like lull in that film. Yeah. Uh, night teeth. <laughs> it's a vampire <laughs> flick. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, I wanted to. How was it? Um, it's got some great moments in it. Overall, I'd put it in a meh, but it, it does okay. have, and the very end is just dumb. Does it take itself seriously or purposely not take itself seriously? Actually, it balances that well. It takes itself okay. just serious, just as serious as it needs to. You know, you know what I mean. Like if if somebody makes a movie or a show and the premise is just so fucking off the wall, and they try to just go serious with it, it, it kills it. But if they embrace the camp and, <laughs> and grab it by the reins, it usually works out. This is like a like a PG thirteen blade. Okay. As far as how it how serious it takes itself. Speaking of things that are good till the end, we're going to be like the black sheep of the internet. Um, have you seen Squid Game? 
I've seen the first few. We did like it a lot, and then my wife and kids went out of town for fall break, and we haven't made it back to watch it because when they came back in town, there was a different show my wife and I watched that we had to marathon, and then we got in Wheel of Time and now Witcher. But I liked what I saw. I know it's like a huge cult phenomenon. We do plan on finishing it, and most of my friends that have seen it liked it. So Okay, yeah, do do finish it. I won't say anything else about it except for do finish it. We binge the whole thing. Um, and the last thing recently that I watched last night, Black Friday. Is that the Devin Saw, Bruce Campbell? Yes. I want to see that. I won't say anything about it until you see it. <laughs> okay. Well, we at least say, is it a fun ride? At times. It's got Bruce Campbell, and I'm going to give it a yes. <laughs> Speaking of Devin Sala, I'm not going to lie. It took me two or three episodes of Chucky to realize that was Devin Sala growing up. <laughs> it, took no the wi- it took the wife pointing it out to me. <laughs> I could tell that the dad and the uncle were the same actor and yeah. I could tell that I knew who they were, but I couldn't figure out who it was. <laughs> and then I, I looked it up and I'm like, no fucking, this fucking Devin Sala. Yeah. Yeah. Cause shit. I mean, I haven't seen him since final destination in SLC punk dude. It's, it's so weird. Cause he doesn't look the same and he doesn't sound the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, he, he looks and sounds like an action movie star. Like you'd expect him to be like a four-star general in a war movie or something. Yeah. Which is not the Devin Sala I grew up with. Idle hands, all that shit, you know. <laughs> so it's interesting. I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Was there anything else you had watched? Or no, 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 that was it, man. Well, I think it's time for me to uh, refill my eggnog cup then, and um, us dive into this Christmas. All right, awesome. Okay, I'm going to start us off with 2015's A Christmas Horror Story, and this is one that I never saw until last year when we were trying to figure out which Christmas movies we wanted to do, and I watched like six movies, and this one, and you better watch out. And Anna and the Apocalypse were high on the list, other than me doing Santa's sleigh, because who doesn't want to talk about fucking Goldberg and his hell deer, right? Because that was fun last year. <laughs> Shit, man. The, uh, the wife discovered this one when it came out, and we watch it every Christmas since it came out. I love it. I mean, this is the Christmas trick-or-treat to me. <laughs> there you go. It's a lot of fun, and, and what Josh and I did this year is we each wrote down three horror Christmas movies that we would each like to cover. And then told them to each other at the same time and then just picked two that matched. Right. And, and I think we did a pretty decent job considering our list. And this movie was the only overlap. Yeah. But it's a lot of fun. And if you haven't seen it, it is streaming on Shudder. Look it up if you haven't seen it. A Christmas Horror Story. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about some of the people that made this just because they've done a lot of a little things. I'm just going to paint with broad strokes. The movie was directed by Grant Harvey. Stephen Hoban and Brett Sullivan. All three of these directors worked on all of the Ginger Snap movies in some capacity. Damn. Like, I feel like each one of them directed one of the three movies, but like one of them was an editor on this one and one of them was a producer on this one. And one of them wrote on this, like, like they collectively worked on them together. And they also did a mini series for TV called Darknet, And they all worked on the TV show Orphan Black to some extent. One of them was actually the creator of Orphan Black. So they all worked on Orphan Black. No shit. And I love that show. So that's awesome. Other than that, they've done various TV episodes and like little movies and stuff. But you can look them up on their IMDb. There's actually not a lot of information about this movie on the Internet. So I have very little extra shit. We're just going to have fun talking about it. <laughs> and the movie was written by James Key, Sarah Larson, Doug Taylor, and Pascal Trottier. All four writers worked on the TV miniseries The Darknet together, as well as doing other random things. And Doug Taylor wrote Splice and that terrible Dungeon Siege movie, as well as They Wait, which I haven't seen yet, but I heard that might be decent. So 
Okay. Out of those, I've seen Splice and it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Splice wasn't bad. So, and if I didn't say this at the beginning and you're unfamiliar with this film, I'm sorry. It's an anthology film. That was why I said it's the Christmas trick or treat, right? So that's why you have so many directors and writers because there's multiple stories going on. As far as the cast goes, there is a significant amount of actors in this film. So I'm basically at this portion only going to mention like the main character or two from each story. And then anybody else that's interesting that pops up, I might mention them in my synopsis. But I'm going to be leaving people out. And if they run something cool that you liked, I'm sorry. There's just a lot of people in this movie. And I don't want this episode to be four hours long. <laughs> but we have to start out with the character Dangerous Dan, the radio DJ. That's the thread that ties all the stories together, right? And it's played by none other than fucking William Shatner. And he's great. He's fantastic. I don't like Star Trek, and I love William Shatner. I always yeah. have. I will watch his old Star Treks because I love William Shatner. I've never seen him in something I didn't like, and he brings Bill Shatner to this fucking movie. He does, okay? man. This may be my favorite <laughs> thing I've ever seen him in. <laughs> he's great. I'm so glad he was in it, and that was actually... The selling point for me to watch this movie when I very first saw the trailer, I was like, what, what is this? And then I saw Bill Shatner and I was like, I, I gotta watch it. I don't know if I have a particular order on these characters, so sorry. George Booza plays Santa Claus. He's been in lots of TV shows and he's done a lot of voice acting work. Interestingly enough, he was Beast on the 90s X-Men cartoon we grew up on. Oh, nice. But he's done a lot of other stuff. And it looks like he'd played Santa a couple other times in different movies. But he's <laughs> fucking great in this movie for the kind of Santa he has to be. Yeah. We have Zoe D. Grand Mason. I might have butchered your name. I'm fucking sorry, but you play Molly um, in one of the segments. And she was from Orphan Black, Riverdale, and lots of other TV. Okay. There's some crossover between shows that these people worked on, like Orphan Black and whatnot. I put Shannon Cook on here. He plays Dylan, which is the camera guy for the segment with Molly. Yeah. I put him on not so much as a main character. Uh, he, he's on a lot of various TV as well, but he had a couple interesting ones. He was uh, a main character on The 100, which I like that show. And in The Conjuring, he was their assistant that comes in and sets up the equipment and helps with exorcisms and shit. So I thought that was kind of neat to throw him in there. He's actually in every Conjuring movie. Yeah. Next, I got Deborah McCabe as Marta Claus or Mrs. Claus, as, as we grew up calling her. And she was in Saw 3, but most recently she's on People of Earth. And if you haven't seen that show, it's fucking ridiculous. I haven't even heard of that. I don't remember what it's streaming on, but it's one of the you know common ones like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. I feel like it's Hulu. It's basically a small town where aliens have been doing experiments and stuff. And there's a like AA type support group for people who think the aliens are there. And one of the guys is literally in AA because he hit like a cow or something. And they're trying to convince him it was an alien thing. But there are aliens and some of them are like kids in the hall characters and shit. It's funny. It's really fucking dumb. Oh, okay. This sounds awesome. Like, I actually thought this was the show that you had told me you and Ginger watched, but I'm thinking you might have been talking about Resident Alien or something. Yes, Resident Alien with uh, What's-His-Nuts from uh, Serenity and uh, Firefly. And you did Tucker this to me on another episode <laughs> where you made me forget his name and then <laughs> forgot to mention Tucker and Dale. At least you mentioned Tucker and Dale. Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yes, that's his that name. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always know his name, and then you kill me. So not that but, show. Uh, <laughs> it's not that show, but we literally turned People of Earth on because I thought it was the show you were talking about. Okay. It is fucking dumb, but it was funny, right? All right. <laughs> I'm almost done here, guys. We've got Amy Forsyth as Caprice, 
And she seems to really be dipping into the the genre type movies and, and shows. I didn't necessarily recognize her, but she's from We Summon the Darkness, which I haven't seen yet, but I want to. I've been told by a couple of people I'd probably like that you one. You need to see it. She's in Hellfest. Yeah, she's she on Channel Zero. She's on The Path, and she was on Defiance. So, I mean, she's, and I don't mean like one off, she's a main character on all the shows. So, and since you brought up Channel Zero, whoever canceled that can eat a bag of dick. Yeah, what that guy said. I hadn't seen it yet, but I heard it's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she's apparently becoming quite the genre actress. I only got a few more people here. Uh, we got Adrian Holmes, who plays Detective Scott Peters in some of these segments. And he was on Smallville, Arrow, Supernatural, V Wars. And he's always Mace Windu's voice on Star Wars cartoons. Nice. And I am about to butcher a name. I'm going to do it really bad. And I'm <laughs> really sorry. But here we go Aluna K. Adelie as Kim, and she's in the same segment as Detective Scott Peters. And she's most recently been on the show Working Moms, but she was also on The Expanse, and she was a main character for a story arc in Being Human. Oh, okay. And as far as special effects go, there was a lot of names for VFX, and when I clicked on all of them, they were all in a metric shit ton of <laughs> big AAA blockbuster movies and huge TV shows. Like, they're all very established VFX artists, but I didn't see like a major studio name jump out or anybody's name I recognize. So you can go through that list if you want, but that's it for my uh, cast and crew. So I'm ready to dive in the movie. And the only note I have here, I said it earlier, but in a little more detail, this is a Christmas horror anthology film with four stories, all connected and narrated by a radio DJ played by William Shatner. And that was my little brief sentence there. And it, it pretty much explains it. <laughs> <laughs> Any interesting info I might have found outside or, or realized on my own, I put in the notes. I don't have like a pile of them because there wasn't much out there on the film. It's just a good movie that I don't think is uh, maybe made as big of a mark as it could yet. But we have a cold open or a prologue with a creepy rendition of Carol of the Bells that I really like with the opening credits. And it really sets the tone of the movie. And then we get the title card and then it pops up Christmas Eve at the North Pole. Gorman.com, Gorman.com. <laughs> <laughs> and we see a beaten, bloodied, and worn Santa Claus walking with a staff covered in blood and gore, and he's talking to his reindeer. And he says that it's time, and he tries to get a sleigh ready to go deliver gifts, but someone or something is trying to break the stable doors down to get into his reindeer stable. And he grabs his axe that he has on a sleigh, and he approaches the door, which bursts open with blinding light. Right. And yeah, he can't yeah. see anything. And then we cut to 12 hours earlier in the town of Bailey Downs. And we can see that it is your typical small town movie Christmas town. Right. Like it looks like an opening scene from Gremlins or something. And this is the same town as in Ginger Snaps. And one of the clones, Allison from Orphan Black, also lives in Bailey Downs. So Orphan Black, Ginger Snaps, and this movie are all in the same universe. Nice. And like I said, the makers of this film also made Ginger Snaps and helped create Orphan Black, which is why we get the tie-ins. But that was a neat little factoid that it, it takes place in the same city. So it's a dangerous place to visit. Anyways, when we get this tour of the town, we can hear the sweet, sweet voice of Bill Shatner as the town's DJ, Dangerous Dan, and he's letting us know that tomorrow is Christmas and that he loves everything about Christmas, including the tinsel, Rudolph, cranberries, and baby Jesus. Before he went all hippie with the sandals and the long hair, 
<laughs> He's then interrupted by the station's producer that he can't talk about Jesus on the air. And he says that he does not give a damn because tomorrow's Jesus' birthday and he's doing it. <laughs> and him and the producer, Susan, go back and forth throughout the movie and it's a running gag. And I probably didn't put every time they do it in here, but she buzzes in to like correct them on stuff all the time. And it's great. Oh, yes, it is. We find out that it is almost time for the big charity food drive at the mall this afternoon. And he says that their own weatherman, Storm and Norman, will be at the drive covering it for them. And he tries to get Norman to respond on air, but Norman just stares off into the darkness, basically. And then he starts to write down a note as Dan tries to cover for him on air. And he's like, oh, Norman's writing me just the loveliest Christmas card right now. <laughs> and Norman slams the note on the window and it simply says, fuck Christmas. And Dan can't believe what he saw. And he wants to know if Susan saw that. And he lets him know that baby Jesus saw that. And baby Jesus' dad saw that. <laughs> and then he breaks out the eggnog and bourbon. And he says he's getting Susan under the mistletoe this year later. And he's going to start Christmas off right with his favorite song. I don't remember what song he started. I should have wrote it down. Maybe I'll update you next time. But he starts Christmas songs off throughout the movie. We cut to our first story, which I simply am calling St. Joseph's Academy. Okay, I, I nicknamed all of these. Oh, okay. And we cut to three high school kids in a car waiting on a fourth kid, and they're watching a police walkthrough video on their iPad about two high school kids who were brutally murdered in their school last year. And the bodies were staged. It appears to be ritualistic. There's blood on the wall. And it says, unto all of us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. Okay. Which is a Bible verse. And detective Scott Peters is the detective that's reading this on the wall, starts to hear a woman singing in the background and he walks towards the sound and he starts to sing with her until they're startled by the second body being discovered. And it kind of drops down like um, Linda in Halloween, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we find out that the cop went on stress leave after this and that Molly used to babysit his kid. And I'm assuming that's how she got the footage. So she maybe stole it from the house while she was babysitting. Otherwise, I don't know the fuck she got, you know, police footage. But we'll, we'll go with Klepto. <laughs> we find out that Molly wants to do a school report on the incident and can't use the stolen police tape. So she wants to break into the school and record their own footage. So Molly, Ben, and Dylan are our trio here. I don't know if I said their names earlier. Are joined by Caprice, which is Dylan's girlfriend, who shows up, and she has the master keys to the school. She stole them from her dad. They never say what her dad does, but something at school, I'm guessing. Okay. We then follow her family into the car as they ride off to go see the dad's mean old aunt. And we can see that the whole family does not really get along. And dad wants them to all get along for Christmas. And his wife says that that would be a Christmas miracle. <laughs> okay. This kind of cuts us into our second story, which I call Oh Christmas Tree, where <laughs> we see Caprice's family drive past a parked truck, which Detective... Scott Peters gets out of, and he has his wife and son with him, and they head out into the woods to cut down the family Christmas tree. And we see him stomping deep into the snowy woods, Griswold Christmas vacation style, and we can see that the child has stereotypical horror movie asthma, right? <laughs> so like six steps, and the cold is very impeding. I do want to say... My two-year-old is supposed to take a nap in this window when we're recording, and she wouldn't. So if you hear a adorable baby in the background, it's just her being an adorable baby. So <laughs> anyways, with that being said, they are trespassing on Big Al's land. We find out. I believe it's the wife that brings this up. And Scott just wants to get a Christmas tree, and his wife's against it and doesn't want to teach their son, you know, 
bad lessons from the cop dad about exactly. trespassing and stealing. But he's like, yeah, there's a bunch of trees here. Nobody will know. And he keeps going. And his son's like all in for the adventure because he's, he's young and, and mom has to follow along. Right. It, it really is like Clark Griswold, though. Like he says, like, look how beautiful they are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Where, there's where a lot we get a of Christmas tree? vacation and Griswold references in my notes that are probably going to come out. So <laughs> great. We cut back to St. Joseph's Academy where we see the trio starting their video project, and it's called Horror in the Hallways. And Molly states that Connor and Jenna were found murdered last year and that the killer is still at large. They then hear the principal walking down the hallway and they have to run and hide. And they initially hear it because Ben is doing the audio and he has the audio recorder and the boom mic and the headphones. And that's kind of like a running gag through the movie is he can pick stuff up in the headphones before anybody else hears it. Yes. So he hears the principal and they run. And luckily, the first door they come to is the door to the creepy basement where the bodies were found and it's available to hide in. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> exactly. We start our third story, which I call Krampus Family Vacation. And we cut to Caprice's family as they show up at the great aunt's house and the kids and wife seem really miserable as Caprice's dad is trying to kiss his aunt Etta's ass. And she does not really seem to want to talk to him or even want him there, but she does happen to catch his son missing with a figurine, a Krampus, and she yells at him not to touch it and says that it's very old. And then Pops just says that he wants to talk to her somewhere more private about something. And she huffs and puffs and they head to a different room. Mama Bear makes herself a drink since she wasn't offered one. And she comments on the decor. It's like Paul Bunyan and Count Dracula gayed up and built a dream home. The little shit brother starts to dick around with the Krampus figurine again. And is stopped by the butler Gearhart, who is played by none other than Julian Richings, which to me is best known as Death on Supernatural. Awesome. I was so going to interrupt you. And then I <laughs> you got to that part. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he is a creepy guy in lots of stuff, but he's always deaf to me. It's like Chicago pan pizza, you know. <laughs> but... <laughs> Caprice's brother, Duncan, explains that the figure is of Krampus, who is an anti-Santa Claus figure that punishes the naughty. And Gearhart further explains this by saying that the demon hunts the wicked from sunset to sunrise. That's fine. He then says that he comes after little boys who touch things they shouldn't, and Duncan, being the little shit he is, pushes the figurine into the floor intentionally while saying, oops, breaking it. And Gearhart lets him know that that was very unwise. I don't care about this kid anymore now. <laughs> as far as the movie goes <laughs> he's asking for it right yes Aunt Etta comes back in the room with Pops and wants to know what happened and Gearheart says that the boy had an accident and Etta panics and kicks the family out at this point we start the fourth story which I call Santa versus the evil dead that works too <laughs> we cut to Santa's workshop and we see him and the elves prepping for Christmas because it is Christmas Eve and he's in a lot better shape than we, we saw him earlier in the cold open. Yeah, his face isn't split open. <laughs> right, right, right. And one of his elves, Shiny, starts to cough and starts coughing up blood and he's looking a little pale. And Mrs. Claus busts in the room with some cookies for the elves and they all get excited and start to eat them except for Shiny. He won't have one. And the other elves find this very odd. And Mrs. Claus goes to Shiny to check on him. And he says that he does not want a goddamn cookie, reindeer fucking snow whore. And then accidentally slams an axe into his hand, severing some of his fingers. <laughs> he then starts to spurt blood all over the room and the elves and then falls over and dies. The elves are all shocked and Santa's concerned because he states that elves cannot die. 
I got to put a little bit more context into this, like visually, because it's like uh-huh. full blown Santa's workshop. Like it's, it's all yeah, the presents elves, being yeah. wrapped and like you got to, and it's all picturesque and it feels it, the, the camera movements floaty and it's got like the Christmas music. Every time you're there, it's like, Oh, okay, this is great. It's the North pole. It feels great. And it's like, you rained your fucking snow. <laughs> like It's yeah, so yeah. good, man. <laughs> like you would think it's a Disney movie until they start talking and dismembering people. <laughs> But we cut back to Big Al's forest, and we can see the Peters family dragging their pilfered tree. And while the parents are talking to each other, their son, Will, wanders off into the woods. And something fucky is going on because they cannot seem to see or hear each other. Right? Like, he's yelling for his parents. The parents are yelling for him. They're spinning around, and they all just see open woods and can't hear the other one yelling. So there's something supernatural going on here. Yeah. And we see something dark dart behind Will, and then we cut to his parents finding his inhaler on the ground, which he would never leave because, you know, he has asthma and you could die at any moment, apparently. <laughs> I know I make jokes, but it's just, I don't movies have an absurd version of asthma. Yes, you can die from an asthma attack, but not like they do in these movies. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> it wouldn't be a slice-by-slice slice episode if I didn't bitch about an asthmatic <laughs> in a movie. They wander past a tree with a huge opening in it, And Scott hears growling coming from the opening and he peeks into the tree because he likes to have scary shit jump out at him. We've realized. And he's startled by Will grabbing his hand and coming out. Right. So he always, oh, there's something creepy. Let's look. Oh, God, jump scare. Like he's just attracted to it. Scott's pretty angry and he starts yelling at Will and his wife tells him to leave him alone. But Will does not seem to give a fuck about anything his dad's saying or anything else that's going on. And we can see the big owls off in the background and he sees the family loading up the truck and leave. Now, with that being said, this came out in 2015. Do you think that Jordan Peele saw this and he got some inspiration for us? Dude, it totally has that vibe. Like it's a few years before us and it feels like us. And the story continues to go into the us, but really the kid wandering off on his own. And then what happens happening? It's, it's yes. not done in a way where I would say Jordan Peele ripped them off. Now, if I ever met the guy to ask him if he was inspired by the segment to write us. Dude, totally. When I was rewatching this for this episode, as soon as I got to that segment, I was like, dude, this has serious us vibes. <laughs> Creepy ass kids, man. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome if he actually was inspired by this to write that movie off of such a little short segment. It's kind of cool. Yeah. But we cut back to our trio at the high school and Molly says that the school was originally a covenant and that they're in the wing where the unmarried pregnant girls would have to stay so that they could hide them since that was taboo back then. And they discuss how the covenant was shut down for a while before it was a school. Right. And Molly says that there was a 15 year old girl named Grace and she was pregnant and she kept saying that she was a virgin and it was an immaculate conception, just like Mary with Jesus. And she died while they were trying to abort her baby. Okay. Damn. Yeah, it's pretty dark on this story. This is probably one of the darker ones, I feel like. Oh, yeah. But they go around and we can see some freaky shit, such as doors closing by themselves, medical chairs with blood on them in the crotch area. And if you have a keen eye, you can catch the ghost girl on the camera, but she's in the background and they don't notice it, right? Yep. They don't show that much found footage in this movie. I wish they would have used it more, but it's neat because when you see the ghost, you see it from the viewfinder of the camera, but the movie sometimes shows found footage from the camera, but most of the time it's a camera following them like a traditional film. Yeah. But I want everybody to keep that keen eye handy because you're going to need it again in a minute. They prepare to record their segment in the room where the two kids were found dead and we can see the ghost girl spying in the background. Okay. We then cut back to Caprice and her family 
and see that her and her brother are both bored in the backseat of the car, and the mom and dad are arguing about the dad trying to hustle his own aunt for money. And then something runs out into the road, causing them to swerve and crash and get stuck in the snow. And if you break out your keen eye from earlier, you'll notice that it was jacked Krampus that charged the car, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Molly recording a story about Connor and Jen getting murdered and showing the locations where the bodies were found for their little video project. And they discovered that the writing is still on the wall from earlier. It's just the blood is faded. And Molly explains to the boys that it's a Bible verse about the birth of Christ. They hear something down the hall and decide that it's time to go. But when they make it to the main door to go back out into the school proper, none of the keys will work on the lock anymore. And they're stuck in this area, which says restricted section, which is kind of funny because I've been watching a lot of Harry Potter and they break in the restriction section a lot. But it's the uh. restricted section and they're beating on the door for the principal to come get them. But there's no response. They all have mobile phones because it's modern times and they pull them out. But none of their phones have service and they can't get a call out. And they think the principal might have locked them down there. I like that they did that. Like, just acknowledge that there's phones. Acknowledge that they thought they would work because they go to school there. And they normally work. But they're not working in the creepy fucking basement because it's supernatural. If you're going to kill the, the cell phones, you got to do it supernaturally like that, right? Yeah. But from there, we cut back to Detective Peters and his family at their home where they're decorating their pilfered tree. And their son's not acting quite right. He's staring into space. He's not really talking. And he's eating like a savage animal. They try to get him to slow down on the eating, but he then stabs Scott in the hand with his fork, and I'm told that this is not normal behavior for a child. <laughs> but the kid will not respond to his mom when she asks him what's wrong, and she sends him to his bed without a third helping. Can you believe that? It's <laughs> like that's, a fucking hobbit. Dude, that, <laughs> that shit makes me want and not want spaghetti so bad. <laughs> I immediately thought of Will Ferrell putting like pancake syrup on the spaghetti in Elf. I haven't seen that, but that sounds disgusting. <laughs> You've never seen Elf? No. Oh, you got to watch it. I used to say I hated Will Ferrell, and then I watched Elf. It's it's my wife's favorite Christmas movie, so that's one of them that we watched on rotation. And John Favreau made it, so you can't go wrong. This will be an interesting experiment because I hate Will Ferrell. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I will try to give it a shot. But now we're up for a real treat because we cut to Dangerous Dan at the radio station talking about how Christmas is a magical time and that in Bailey Downs, it has to be different this year than last year. And before his next song, he wants everyone to remember the little ones in town, especially those who aren't with them anymore, including Connor and Jenna, who were taken at St. Andrew's Academy. He says all this while he's looking at a Christmas card of a family, and Connor is in the family picture. And when he opens it, it says, love our dangerous grandpa on yeah. the inside, right? So we can see that Connor was his grandson. And he says that they're listening somewhere out there, and he puts another song on, and of course he's chugging his bourbon and eggnog this whole time. We cut back to the North Pole, and we can see Santa telling his wife that he believes the other elves have also become infected. And we can see that the workshop is in disarray and the elves are nowhere to be found. And he lets her know that Shiny's body has gone missing. And she lets him know that that doesn't make any sense. Elves becoming the walking dead? No, it does not make any sense. Santa follows this awesome one-liner up with, unless he is behind it, right as the elves start beating the door in, right? And we see swole Santa kick a fucking desk across the room to block the door, and he sends his wife off to hide. And we see that he grabbed his staff that we saw earlier, and he, like, takes a cap off, and there's a blade on one of the little things. And it's like a stereotypical staff you would see at old St. Nick pictures, right? Yeah. 
And they did a really good job of having like an older guy play Santa and make him like be really loving and convincing while seeming like a badass and like kicking, you know, a solid oak desk across the room with his superpowers. <laughs> I really liked how they did it. But we see that Shiny is, in fact, back from the dead and that Jingles is also now a zombie elf. <laughs> and I think it is hilarious the amount of names I didn't write down in my notes, but I wrote down all the fucking elves because it's just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And they're both acting like well, little assholes, quite frankly, and cussing a lot like we saw Shiny doing earlier. Yeah. Santa decapitates Jingles with his staff and then chunks Shiny out the window, right? <laughs> And he's fucking them up. And then we get a cool fade to black as Shiny flies out the window back to the high school. And we can see that the kids can find no way out of this basement wing or whatever the hell it is. And that Ben is mad because he's supposed to be helping his mom at the mall with the food drive. And she's going to kill him later. Right. And Dylan points out that it's Christmas Eve and they all have places to be. Right. They continue to explore the wing, and Dylan is startled by the ghost girl. But then it just appears to be a mannequin or figure from, from a Christmas setup. And we know we saw the ghost girl. Yeah. It's just by the time they get the lights there, it's not the ghost girl. It's a perfectly explainable phenomenon, right, to them. And they discover that it's the nativity scene that's no longer allowed to be used at the school due to the war on Christmas. And all they can find are barred windows everywhere. Molly points out that it's Christmas Eve and that if there was ever a time to notice three missing kids in Bailey Downs, it would be now. No shit. <laughs> exactly. And Ben gets upset because his family tradition is to watch The Sound of Music, eat pizza, and drink champagne and open one <laughs> gift on Christmas Eve every year. And luckily, Dylan at least has some candy canes in his pocket to put something on their stomachs, right? He's like, well, it might not be pizza and champagne, but I got this. And Molly's like, I didn't realize how hungry I was. They've been down here for a hot minute. Yeah. Ben is worried about the killer returning since this is where he killed the kids the year before. And Dylan's still convinced that it's the principal that killed the other kids and who locked them in there. And it, all he says is he's angry and he, he's got a piss and he heads off with Joseph's staff that he takes for defense. I think he calls him Joe, which is kind of <laughs> funny. And Molly tells Ben that she's counting on Caprice knowing that something's up when Dylan doesn't call her that night and that maybe she'll say, oh, they went to the school and somebody will come find them. But little does she know that Caprice is dealing with their own Christmas crisis. Krampus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things start to get a little fucky again. And Ben can hear a woman singing in his headphones as we see Dylan go to the bathroom. And he says it smells like death in there. We keep getting a POV kind of shaky camera shot, like somebody stalking him in the bathroom. And he seems to get the vibe that he's being watched. But every time he turns around, he never sees anything. We even get a nice fake out where the camera pulls into the sink while he's washing his hands and you expect something to be in the mirror when he stands up, but it's not there, yep. right? Like they, they, they got you ready for it and then it didn't happen. It's a great way to do that in, in horror films. Or for something in that fucking nativity scene to come to life and it just it yeah, no, yeah, yeah. never happens. Right. But we cut back to Ben and Molly. Well, technically you had the ghost girl in the nativity scene, but that was your first introduction to the nativity scene, right? Yeah. But we cut back to Ben and Molly, and Ben says that the sound stopped in his headphones that he was hearing earlier. However, Molly sees a creepy ghost girl looking over his shoulder, and she screams really loudly, and Dylan comes running in, and we can see that Molly's on the ground convulsing. Ben says he doesn't know what happened to her. She just fell, so we get that he never noticed the ghost girl behind him, right? No. We cut back to the Peters family and their story, and we can see that Will was spying on his mom in the shower, and she catches him and sends him off to bed and talks to Scott about how he's acting weird and has not had to use his inhaler at all tonight. 
since, you know, apparently you have to use it every 30 seconds. And <laughs> Scott tries to get frisky with his wife, but she's not down, and he heads off to the couch to listen to some dangerous Dan and hammer some beers. Little does he know that a creepy Will is stalking behind him and watching his every move. We can see that Mom is in the bed, and someone is under the covers trying to get extracurricular with her, but <laughs> Scott's still on the couch, it shows. So he's not in the room with her. And we then see a hand come from under the covers, and it's a child's hand. So this shit just got real weird. It's fucked. And yeah. And mom hears a growl from under the covers and fully wakes up. But when she does, Will's gone, right? Like whoever was under the blanket, which we would assume is Will at this point, is gone. She heads to his room and finds him asleep, and she takes a look out the window. And if you break out that keen eye again, you can see that Will's reflection in the glass of the window shows that of a featureless creature with glowing eyes and not a boy like we can actually see on the bed. Yep. Mom doesn't notice that. And honestly, I didn't notice it the first couple times I watched it. So No, it took like the third or fourth watch before I caught that. It's nice, though, to catch it there after watching it a few times. But we cut back to Caprice and her family as they're walking through the woods, and her brother Duncan tells the family that it is now officially the night of Krampus and that they need to make weapons. Pops tries to say that Krampus is a load of horse shit, but he's interrupted by a hook and chain and paling him in the stomach and slinging him to the ground. Get over here! Duncan runs to get the flare his father dropped as Caprice and her mom go to check on dad, and we can see that he's bleeding really badly. And right as Duncan picks up the flare, he's grabbed by a chain and yanked off screen. And the family doesn't have any cell reception, and they have to start running for cover and look for any building they can hide in. We cut back to Santa at the North Pole as he tries to take the elevator, and he's rushed by Sparkles and the rest of the army of undead elves. Yes, I just said that, and it was very fun. Some of them make it into the elevator before the door closes, and then we cut to downstairs as the elevator doors open, and we can see gore and blood dripping off of Santa's staff as he walks out of the elevator, and we can see that he dealt with his naughty list as there's a pile of elf meatloaf all over the floor from where he took out the elven zombies. Yes. Shiny's laying on the ground outside of the elevator mangled and breaks out some more of that Rob Zombie-style dialogue that we're currently <laughs> used to on this podcast. I'm going to eat your fucking brains out, you Christmas cunt. Fuck you! I'll break that fucking stuff in your rosy cheek dust, you fucker! <laughs> Until Santa apologizes to Shiny and lets him know that he knows that it's not his fault as he rams the staff through his brain killing him. We cut back to Shatner as he says we're getting close to Christmas and he's pulling his annual double shift for the holidays and he tries to cut to Storm and Norman at the mall, but all he's getting is static. And he has a perfectly reasonable explanation for it. Sorry folks, looks like we got some of those winter weather technical difficulties. Too many reindeer in the atmosphere. <laughs> we can tell that he's hitting the booze pretty hard as he says throw another eggnog on the fire and then he corrects himself. <laughs> Then pours another drink and says that this one is for Susan, who's really harsh in his buzz right now. I got a question for you, though. Okay. Would the FCC allow a DJ to get smashed on air? Once. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I just felt like there was probably a rule against that. They have so many rules for DJs. I think there is. Story time with Josh. So, um... When uh, dun, dun, dun. when I was real little, my dad was a DJ for a while, and uh, he actually had Bon Jovi come in and to do a live spot for Rad Rockers Against Drugs, and uh, okay. 
I can't remember if I've ever told this story on the on the podcast or not, but whatever. I don't um, believe so. I know the story, but I don't think you've said it here. But he comes in, and the first thing he asks my dad, he's like, is there someplace I can go smoke a joint before we do this? <laughs> <laughs> so at least there was a time when they really didn't give a fuck. But in these days, I think only once. They'd be more mad that he was saying Christmas and baby Jesus. <laughs> Which is the running gag, right? Exactly. I love all of his little parts. They're just funny. And you got to think that he probably didn't even know really what kind of movie he was going to be in. Dude, it's so like, like grounds the movie and his character so relatable. And it really makes me want to watch Pawnee pool. (laughs) It also kind of gives you the the same vibe as I think it's trick or treat, right? Or Adrian Barbeau's the DJ. Oh yeah. They never show her in that though. They should, but she's the voice. voice. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a throwback to the fog. Yeah. There's a lot of crossovers to this film and that film. Anyways, we cut back to the Peters residence and we can see Scott wake up and he finds all the presents under the tree destroyed. And he goes to yell at Will and pulls his belt off and starts beating the shit out of him with it until Will's mom stops him and tells him to get out of the room and then he needs to go get help. Basically, the stress from that case and his psychiatric leave is really getting to him and he's developed a drinking problem. And you can see that mom's had to back him off a will a couple of times, right? Like she knows that he, he loses his edge. Yes. But he also got stabbed in the fucking hand with a fork. So uh, I'm kind of on his side. (laughs) Yeah. He's lucky he didn't whip the kid with a piece of hot wheels track. Then, you know what I mean? (laughs) We see that Scott swaps to the hard liquor at this point and mom gets a call from big Al. He says that he got their license plate when they drove off after they stole a tree from his property, and he warns them that Will is still lost in the woods and that they brought a changeling home and need to bring him back to the forest. She, of course, thinks he's batshit fucking crazy and hangs up on him. We cut back to the high school, and we can see Molly wake Dylan up and ask him to follow her out of the room. He's like a little, you know, half asleep when he gets woken up. He's just glad to see that she's conscious because they were worried about her, and he follows her out. He can hear her humming a song, and it's a song from earlier in the movie from the police footage, and he finds her stripping down in a room, and she wants him to get in bed with her and starts to undo his pants, but he's a good boy, and he turns her down and says he has a girlfriend. He then lets her know that he thinks she's in shock or something, and she apparently does not like rejection and stares at a crucifix on the wall, and it starts to vibrate like it's going to fly off and fuck him up. And I don't think I mentioned it earlier. But Dylan made a couple of jokes to her about being like the Virgin Mary when they got there yep. and stuff like that and, and how good of a girl she is. So you're supposed to know from that that this is not natural. Totally. I'm going to warn you, we start to cut between the stories quite frequently here. So, Oh, not till here? <laughs> I don't know. We got a few minutes with each segment. This is like a line happens and it hops from here on out sometimes. Okay. <laughs> this is when the editor started doing some blow. Yeah. We cut back to Scott, who's going through his file on the murder case from the previous year, and we can see that mom is in her bedroom with her laptop researching changelings on the internet. Changeling Will is, of course, creepy, and he's popping up all around the house, spying on his parents like the fucking shape. (laughs) Scott does not catch any of these, like, popping up Will moments and heads to Will's door to talk to him because he's getting a little sad after seeing the dead kids on Christmas, right? And he walks up to the door and he's just talking through the crack in the door and he says that he's sorry for losing his temper earlier and that he's trying to be better. And he goes back to his chair, grabs another drink, and we can see Will climbing on the fucking ceiling in the background behind him and it's creepy. Yes. During all of this, his mom's researching changelings and learning more about them and thinks there might be something to what Big Al said. Right about that time, she hears glass break and heads to the living room 
to find it thrashed and her husband dead on the floor. The changeling growls from the Christmas tree and she runs off. We then cut back to Caprice and her mother and father as they find a church to take shelter in and dad is bleeding out real bad and mom wants to go outside to look for Duncan. Caprice thinks that it's Krampus and that the story is true and she thinks they need to stay inside until sunrise to get past the night of Krampus, right? And they'll survive. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Dad realizes that he's bleeding out bad and that he's mostly not going to make it until sunrise. So he thinks they should all confess their sins in the church so that way they're not naughty and maybe that'll stop Krampus from killing them all. <laughs> Caprice mentions that she stole the Zippo from Aunt Edda's house, which we saw her pocket earlier. And she says that she does not do bad stuff like sex and drugs. She just sometimes pockets and steals dumb things like that, right? Because they're confessing their sins now, and that's the worst she's got. Yeah, she's working her way up to sex and drugs. Yeah, yeah, she ain't got there yet. Mom says that Duncan was an innocent, though, so this doesn't make any sense. And Caprice lets her know that he hurts and kills small animals, and that every time they had a pet that died, it was him. And Mom blames the dad for this, for not spending enough time with the son, because he's always at work. He lets her know that his company went under years ago and that he just swindles people for money to think they're investing in his company to pay the bills. And he just wants to keep her happy. And she thought he just wasn't interested in her. And we can see that they all have a bunch of bad shit going on, right? Yeah, they're a very dysfunctional family. <laughs> yeah. Mom and dad start to make up as Krampus gets a chain hook through the window and Scorpion yanks dad outside. Get over here. <laughs> Mom, and <laughs> Mom and Caprice run and hide in the confessional at this point. Caprice feels something on her leg, and it appears to be a tongue coming from under the door, and Mom tells Caprice to run when she opens the door, and she bursts out, grabbing Krampus's attention until she is decapitated. Bye, Mom. However, Caprice... Exactly. However, Caprice was able to run out the door during this distraction. We cut back to Molly as she wakes up Ben and she starts to seduce him, which we could tell he's had a crush on her the whole movie. Oh, yeah. He notices blood on her clothes and her missing stockings, as well as Dylan not being present. But he just doesn't seem to care. My man's thinking with the wrong head right now. Yep. Molly puts him in a chair and straddles him and they start to go at it. Oh, by the way, she's talking with a multi-tiered ghost demon voice, and Ben still doesn't seem to care. No, because he's about to bust. Right. And about 30 <laughs> seconds later, under the eyes of Mary and Joseph, they're finished. This next <laughs> oh, part's really messed holy up. Night. <laughs> this next part's really messed up because Molly crawls off a of Ben and then snaps out of whatever possession she's under and asks Ben what the fuck he did to her. Because she knows something happened, but she doesn't remember being present for it. Yep. And he rhetorically says, you mean what you did to me? And she's unsure what's going on, but she knows that she just had sex. Right? Yes. They hear something in the distance, and Ben goes to check and see if it's Dylan, and Molly sees the blood on her shirt and starts to get really upset like she just remembered something from earlier. Something about a crucifix to the face? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut back to Mrs. Peters as she's on the phone with Big Al again and wants to know what to do. He says that she needs to bring the changeling back and return it for her son. He says that it's tasted human pleasures now, and it will not go willingly. So she goes out to the living room and finds Will in front of the Christmas tree in a pool of blood playing with Scott's severed hand. <laughs> she asks him if he wants to go for a ride in the car like he's a fucking family dog, and he sees the bat in her hand and gets a little startled. He growls and he charges at her, and then she brains him in the head with the bat. 
However, instead of continuing to swing, she made the mistake of running around the corner into the hallway after hitting him, and she's lost track of him by the time she looks out. The changeling jumps on her back, and he starts biting her until she slams it on the ground and beats the bejesus out of it with the bat at this point. Now he's subdued. (laughs) We cut back to the North Pole, and we see Santa and his trusty staff searching for his wife. He gets attacked by some elves in the mailroom, and they're actually fighting back this time with, like, improvised weapons and tools, right? And as they're attacking him, he manages to decapitate and impale all of them, killing them all. And it's a pretty fucking gnarly scene. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the paper cutter decapitation movie does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paper cutter cuts are always great in all movies ever since (laughs) fucking James Gunn and fucking Tromeo. Damn, couldn't remember the name of the fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) All of his scenes are, like, awesome, like, Evil Dead homages, really. Yeah. But we come back to Dangerous Dan, and he says that there's a real mess down at the mall right now (laughs) and that the police are everywhere. And there's still no word from Storm and Norman, but he's sure that he's fine. And he says he feels bad because they all give him a hard time at the station, but it's because he's the weatherman. But they all do really care for him. He even says that Norman has a master's degree or Columbia or somewhere else depressing like that. (laughs) And then he hits the eggnog and he fires up another Christmas song. We cut back to Mama Peters as she drags the changeling back into the woods in a bag. And we know that there's other changelings in the woods watching her and they're all growling from the trees. And Big Al's there on the snowmobile and he tells her not to be scared because they're not going to hurt her as long as he's around because they're scared of him. He says that they've been on his family's land for a long time and he takes care of them. But he says this as he's yelling at the bag for see what you did, see I'll teach you and beating the (laughs) shit out of the wheel changeling, right? He opens the bag and we can see that the changeling is in its true form with like the white shapeless skin and the glowing eyes and whatnot. And she panics and she has a gun and the other changelings are getting close and she accidentally shoots Big Al, killing him. And the changeling seems grateful to be freed from Big Al's captivity and goes into the tree and gets the real will out of the hollow and brings him out to his mom. We can see that he's cold, and he's still got asthma, so it must be him this time. (laughs) They didn't swap him for another changeling. So they're glad that she let them free, but I'm assuming now they're going to go wreak havoc on the rest of the world. But that ties up the Peter family story. We then cut back to Ben at the high school in his search for Dylan, and we see that Molly is following behind, but like checking different doors. And as she opens one of them, she sees some ghost nuns delivering or boarding a baby. It looks like delivering, but I'm not sure. Yeah. She then screams as Ben is also yelling for her to figure out where she's at. And she runs to Ben's voice and he's in the room where the other teens died last year. And the Bible verse is now freshly written on the wall in blood, more specifically Dylan's blood, because he's laid up against the opposite wall, dead and bloody. Ben locks the door as he hears a baby start to cry, and Molly realizes that the ghost of Grace wants her to carry her son. And Grace was the 15-year-old girl that died during the botched abortion, and Connor and Jenna wouldn't help her last year to make the son, so she killed them. But Ben knocked Molly up during their 22 seconds of bliss, so she might (laughs) let them live. Ben starts to blame Molly for this, like she planned the whole fucking thing. And then the ghost of Grace shows up in the room with her dead baby and slams Ben into the wall. And his body stretches out crucifix style and she snaps his neck. She touches Molly's belly and realizes that she's pregnant and opens the doors and lets her go. On her way out, Molly starts to hum the song again. So she's still possessed to some extent. Yes. And this ends the St. Andrew's Academy story. 
We see Caprice run to her great on Etta's house, and she's beating on the doors to get in, which have a large crucifix on the main door, and all the rest of the doors are locked. And Caprice is begging to be let in, and then she sees Krampus, who charges at her, and she falls over and grabs some sort of rod on the ground and impales it into his throat, and then she grabs a gas can and douses them in gasoline and then catches them on fire with her stolen Zippo. Merry Christmas, motherfucker. As Krampus burns, he turns into Gearheart, and we cut to Caprice standing by a fire inside the house with her great aunt Etta, as she tells Caprice that the night is almost over and that they'll be safe. Caprice wants to know if they should fix the Krampus figurine to retrap Krampus. Etta lets her know that this is just an ornament, and Caprice wants to know how Gearheart turned into Krampus then. And Etta lets her know that Krampus is a Christmas spirit, and like her father said earlier in the movie, people can get filled with the Christmas spirit. There's just more than one of them, right? She says that if your heart is dark and your spirit is wicked, then the Krampus spirit will take you over and make you hunt down the wicked on that night. Caprice realizes that Etta kicked Gearheart out of the house and kicked her family out and then put a cross on her door to protect herself because she knew that Gearheart had gotten possessed by Krampus and it would hunt her family down and she'd be safe with the cross protecting her. What a dick. Yeah. Etta tells her that she does not understand the forces that she's playing with, and Caprice says that she thinks that she does, and she also knows that Etta's been a bad girl. But she says this while her eyes turn black, her skin starts to break apart, and she morphs into Krampus. We pan outside as we hear Etta die, ending this story. I, I do want to hang on that shot for, like, one second, because, like, out of, out of the, the VFX shots in the movie— like the door opening with all the white light and everything and like the, the throwdown that's fixed to happen is cool looking, but like just the change right there, the subtle change with her is like the first yeah. time in the movie where I'm like, I'm scared too. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. This is honestly a really well made movie and I don't uh, understand why I want to hear it talked about more. I know, right? But three stories down, we got at least one more to go, right? (laughs) So we cut back to a plastered dangerous Dan, and he says that the authorities are telling everyone to stay away from the mall. He says that they need to pray for a Christmas miracle and that there's still no word on the number of hostages being held at the mall currently. And he says, stay home for the love of God. And he's in tears as he says this, right? Because dangerous Dan might be the only good character in this movie. I know, right? We cut back to our final story as we see Santa go deeper into his workshop, which is really starting to look more like an industrial facility at this point. And he's looking for his wife. She blinds up with a flashlight and cries for him to leave her alone. He reaches for and tells her that it's all over. And then she attacks him and he can see that she is now a zombie as well. And he has to kill her. We then cut to a stables and we can see that Santa's in his full uniform with the sleigh ready to rock. And this is a continuation from the opening scene where the split forehead and everything, right? Yep. He grabs his axe as he approaches the banging stable doors until they burst open and in comes Krampus. Krampus, vile enemy of Christmas. It's so storybooky, man. <laughs> it's great. It's what it is. And if I didn't say it, like Krampus is jacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krampus is awesome. He's not like a huddled over oafish Krampus. He's like like Doug Jones of muscles. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said that this guy's kind of young that played him. It's, it's something Archer is his name. I'll, I'll look it up for the notes on the next episode. But uh, somebody was like, I love Kane Hodder, but he's getting older. This guy should be the new Jason whenever <laughs> the rights get fixed. Because I guess he's done some other work similar to this. But okay. anyways. Santa grabs his staff and he engages in mortal combat with Krampus. Finish him. 
Santa originally has the upper hand until Krampus eventually gets him down on the ground and Santa knocks Krampus's feet out from under him and he goes to bash his head in. I'm going to say this right now, and I don't know if I've ever done this on the show before, but if you haven't seen this movie and you don't like things to be spoiled, stop right here. Pause your podcast. Go watch the movie and come back. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're about to be fucked if you haven't seen this. (laughs) At this point, we hear a crying voice come out of Krampus that doesn't match the body. Well, the lips match, but like it's really out of place to hear it. And we hear it say, Norman, stop. Please don't kill me. The fuck? Exactly. We cut back to Santa's face, but now we see Storm and Norman in like a Kmart Santa Claus outfit, right? Because it's not the same actor that played Santa Claus. And the Krampus on the ground now just looks like a normal guy in a sweater vest. And he cries, what the fuck is wrong with you, Norman? (laughs) We pan out and we can actually confirm that Santa is Storm and Norman in a shitty Santa Claus suit at the mall. And he has mass murdered just about everyone inside. He starts to have flashbacks of the fights that Santa Claus had earlier. Like when he killed Marta, it was a woman hiding in the closet begging for her life. When he killed the elves in the elevator, it was people in the mall elevator. And when he was stabbed by some of the elves with scissors and shit, it was actually employees hiding in the room trying to use any staplers and, and knives and everything, just like in a real invasion to, to fight off this maniac, right? It's actually very sad. <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to say. This is the part where the movie gets so cool and so sad. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> We then see a flashback of Norman in his Santa suit in the bathroom yelling fuck over and over again as he's smacking his head before all of these events unfolded. And then he remembers the fuck Christmas note he showed to Dangerous Dan. And we see him put on his cheap Santa suit and he ho-ho-hos into the mirror. It's time. We then get a cool montage of the cops busting into the mall and putting lights on them. And it is cut with Santa at the North Pole, seeing the stable doors burst open. And then we cut back and forth between Norman's delusion at the North Pole and reality as he tries to chop down the mall manager on the ground with the axe, which he perceives as Krampus until he's mowed down by a hill of gunfire from the police. We then get one more broadcast from Dangerous Dan and good old Bill Shatner says it best. Some will let him do his thing. What the hell is it about Christmas and the Bailey Downs? Are we cursed or something? Why does this season of love and peace and goodwill keep ending in blood and death and horror? You keep the spirit in your hearts, you hear me, people? You hug your loved ones and you keep them close and you treat them every Christmas like it might be your last. We then cut the credits and they're intercut with Dangerous Dan taking phone calls on air and it's fucking hilarious because this was never shown in the movie. And we close it out. This is a great movie. The production value is really high. The cast is great. The special effects and the makeup are great. The four stories are pretty original. I do see some people say some are weaker than others, but I I really didn't feel that. I think a lot of people didn't like the changeling story, but you know, I'm an old fairy tale stuff a little bit. So I like the idea of like fae like creatures kidnapping kids and taking over their lives and stuff. It's it's really scary. So yeah. I thought that was neat. The ghost story with the high school kids is, is cool and original. And, you know, when you're throwing religion in with haunted stuff, it usually makes it a little bit creepier and, and in some ways more believable. Right. Um, so I thought that was a neat story. I absolutely love Santa versus the evil dead. Like it's just <laughs> that whole thing was really cool. And the Krampus story, you have to have a Krampus story if you're doing Christmas horror, right? Like, that might be my least favorite story, but if you think about it, it's the least shown one with the least amount of character development. We're just trying to get Krampus established as a real supernatural creature because of what happens at the end. Exactly. Now, the end, this is something I want to focus on for a minute. 
the first time I saw this film going in blind, I loved all the segments and I expected it to just end the Santa Claus story and the credits roll. But then when it cuts to Storm and Norman in the Santa suit and the manager on the ground, it like instantly hit me that, oh my God, this is the fucking weatherman having a psychotic breakdown and, and killing everybody in the mall. And then they start to show everything and they confirm it. And that was such like a masterfully told end on the story there that I honestly didn't see coming. And I feel like it came out of nowhere and upped the value and the enjoyment of the whole movie by putting that surprise at the end. Absolutely. Like when that happens, it's like, that's how much shock there was supposed to be at the end of a saw movie. Like, right. But, but saw like the, you know, what kind of movie you're in da 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 da. Like this so comes out of left field. And like you said, like you're ready for it to be over and you're happy and it was cool and everything. And then this happens and it's like, yeah. Oh shit. Now, I want to know, did the other shit happen that night, or was this an elaborate backstory that this crazy fucker actually had rattling around inside of his head to justify his character <laughs> and his enemy? <laughs> I think Bailey Downs is probably just fucked to some extent, and some of it was true. I feel like there probably was a haunted high school, right? So we got the ghost story, changelings out in the woods. Okay, fairy tale legend's been around forever. Um, Krampus has been around forever. I feel like they did that just so that we knew there was a real Krampus as well as the Krampus that this guy thought he was. So don't visit this town near Christmas. Exactly. <laughs> or any other time of year. Cause you got to deal with werewolves and oh, yeah. people in black suits looking for clones that have escaped. I mean, it's just, it's a dangerous place. Yeah. This uh, where this, this city, what, what is it in Ohio? I feel like it should be in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to put that in the notes on the next one too. Awesome. We'll just avoid it. <laughs> but that is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I have two left to do. We've done this. This is the third one, right? This is our third Christmas. Third Christmas. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. I have two more that I want to do. So I can't wait to next year to do one. And then the year after that, hopefully to do the next. And maybe there'll be more movies by then. Who knows? But there are plenty of Christmas horror movies out there. It's interesting how you can mesh the two holidays together and how they roll on each other. Tim Burton showed us that with Nightmare Before Christmas, right? But yeah, it did. it's always kind of been present if you think about like how many old tales from the Crypt stories and the Silent Night movies and stuff have killer Santa Claus and stuff. Like it's you can take this wholesome holiday and you can creep it up a bit. And this next movie that Josh about to cover is a foreign film that has been recommended to me for years and I hadn't watched it before. And when Josh chose it, I was glad to finally have an excuse to sit down and watch this movie. And it's, it's different and a real treat. And Josh is going to cover rare exports from 2010 for us. Let's listen to Josh butcher some names and uh, me get into trouble. Cause I just poured the last of my eggnog into my Halloween mug here. All right. Um, so, yeah, we got three things working against us here. We got one, Josh, who everyone knows that I cannot stand having to read a movie. I would rather have something poorly dubbed than have to read it. That's not a choice with this film. Secretly, he just can't read. Josh is illiterate. That just makes it harder. Um, we've got <laughs> the fact that I have to pronounce all these four names and the fact that I went shot for shot with dangerous Dan during Jesse's coverage of the previous movie. And I'm a little hammered. Um, <laughs> I love eggnog and fueled Christmas episodes. They're a blast. I will say, I can't remember is the movie Finnish or Norwegian. We're going to go with Finnish. All right. Y'all have some patience with me. So this film was directed by Yelmari Hollander. Um, it was written by him and his brother. Uso. 
which they worked hand in hand a lot more than just a writer and director. Um, cause this was a very, very small production. Um, we'll get into yeah. that a little bit more here in a minute, except for the old Santa penises. There's a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> so for our primary cast, we have Oni Tomalia, uh, as Patari. And I'm not even going to try to say his last name. Canito Canitio. I don't know. You are um, making people Italian and Japanese that shouldn't be. Exactly. So I'm going to be calling him Peter. Um, <laughs> and then we've got uh, Yorma Tamila, who's playing his father in the film, who is actually his father in real life. So nice. That's really interesting. Then we have uh, Tommy Corpella. There I go Italian again. We have Tommy Corpella as Ammo. Um, who's awesome and really hates foreigners, regardless if they're American <laughs> or Russian. <laughs> and really uh, doesn't like Russians, though. I'm just gonna say that right here, right now. <laughs> we have Oralno Yovinen. Damn, I'm I'm sorry, guys. As Piparinen. Josh is not trying to be culturally <laughs> offensive here. Yeah, this there's is, not a lot to find on these movies, and these are difficult to pronounce names if you're American. Exactly. So I call him Pip throughout this review. It looks like we're looking at an all-star hockey team right now. <laughs> we're looking at. And uh, we have Per Christian Elfson. Elfson? Fuck, I'm sorry, guys. As Riley, who I didn't realize his character had a name in the movie till after watching it. So in my notes, he's just the boss. <laughs> and this is the part where I get really scared. Uh, Ilmari Yarvindapot? I don't know what to say with the dots over the A's. There's a lot of dots and a lot of A's in there. <laughs> As the kid who plays Yuso, who he, him and his character in this movie is like, if you took a young skinny chunk from Goonies and okay. a young Patrick Swayze that would go on to be in Roadhouse. And that's this kid. <laughs> Can you see it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looks like a Lost Boys character, too. <laughs> yes, we got that, too. We'll get into who did the special effects here in a minute. So this film came about with it all starting from two shorts. And the very first one was not a short film for the sake of a short film. And I've seen this cited incorrectly. What I'm about to say is from the DVD. So we're going to go with that being accurate. So Rare Exports Incorporated from 2003 was actually just made as a gift to the clients of Woodpecker Film, and it played on their website. And it was heavily viewed. Like, this was at a time, I mean, it's 2003. It's not like there was a lot of shit, you know, put, there weren't streaming services and whatnot. And it right. got viewed so much that they decided to just pull it out, and it ended up going into the film festival circuits. And it ended up in a showcase that was put on by Luke Basson. Now, I know that name Ooh. because of The Fifth Element, not yeah. because of the bad shit that he allegedly did. Moving on. I didn't even know about the bad shit. I just knew about the movies he made. I had heard that the shorts were also kind of like a proof of concept of an idea. Is yes, that not true? That was not the intention at all when they were originally made. Okay, okay. Not, not the first one, at least. So uh, the short featured three men tracking something, and we end up seeing them trank darting the shit out of a naked old dude. And the narrator, at least in the trailer... Well, it's done like trailer style on the DVD. Yeah. It's it's in English. It's actually done more like a National Geographic exactly. kind of like, like look at the beast in the wild. It's done like that, right? <laughs> yes. And uh, this very serious narrator then lets us know that they're after Father Christmases and that that's what they capture, trained to not eat children and ship all over the world. 
that's absurd enough on its own. Now you got to remember the part of the world that this story is coming from. Like this is where like the father Christmas story fucking comes from. Like this right. is where, where the old legends come from. So it's really neat already out the gate that there's such a wildly different take on what a Santa is and where they come. Yeah. From. And it's really interesting because the shorts are done in satire form and they're fucking hilarious. Oh yeah. And the actual film itself is listed as a horror comedy. It is so much more serious than the shorts, though. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, it's so much more serious with a couple of, um, like, it'll be like a silly, campy thing, but they just roll over it like it's serious, which is kind of funny because earlier I was saying that's bad when they do that in movies, but they pulled it off in this one. So. Absolutely. But it, it is definitely a different style. You can find these on YouTube, by the way, if Josh didn't say that. So. Yes. So two years later, we get another short that was released for the sake of being a short Rare Exports, Inc., the official safety instructions. Yeah. And uh, it was toured around the regular film festival circuits. And uh, the point of it was to tell the rules for distributors and importers of the Santa Clauses or Father Christmases. Right. And, uh, some of these rules include no loud noises, always behave or play dead if you fuck it up. Don't drink. Don't smoke. And while it's showing these rules, you've got this wide shot of, of what's the, the Pip character and a crate. And it's like, don't ever do this. And then the Pip character does it. And then the, the Father Christmas comes running out of the crate. Or when it's like, if you really want to piss off a Father Christmas, <laughs> drink and curse. <laughs> and he yeah. comes fucking busting out of the crate, flying through the air, Hong Kong wirework style. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so In good. Slow -mo. Yes, it's so good. It's so over the top, but it sets up the rules. And there's things in the movie proper that you're going to see that harken right back to these shorts. Now, I saw the movie and yeah. then watched the shorts. It works either way. But if you haven't seen any of this and you watch the shorts first, the movie is not going to lean as hard into the comedy as it does in the shorts. But it's still awesome. But speaking of this production, the movie looks beautiful. Um, watching the behind the scenes of them making it, it, it looks like five people and two rented cameras. Like, it is so kevin smith looking in the approach and they only had around two million to do the flick and really this, yes and this movie spent a fuck ton of time in post-production there's so much digital effects in this movie there are shots of the helicopter yeah. that i thought were real that are cgi and shots of the helicopter that are cgi that i thought were real most of the snow when it's falling was added in like there's so much yeah. stuff that in the vfx company that did the shit is called fake graphics that is funny <laughs> as shit to me <laughs> and uh like the previous movie there's not a lot of shit out there about this movie even the widely known as mostly false trivia section on imdb has three fucking entries for this movie none of which i've cited <laughs> i think mine had three entries and two of them are like duh and then one of them was the the ginger snaps slash orphan black team so uh here we go with the start of the movie and we open with a countdown 24 days to christmas and we see a construction site and we see mr green telling his boss that i now know is riley so don't be surprised if i call him boss throughout this whole thing hmm. about an odd drilling sample um that they've just hit and uh he's shown it to him and they've hit sawdust 65 fucking feet of it and his boss explains that back in the day, people would store ice by encasing it in sawdust and tells him we need to continue drilling. And he's like, they already are. And they look outside and the drilling team's still going. 
Correct me if I'm wrong. This part's in English, right? Yes. This whole opening is in English. I was like, oh, yay, it's a good English dub. And then it gets five minutes in the movie and I'm like, shit. <laughs> I was confused because I had heard that the movie was a foreign film and it was in, you know, Finnish. And I'm watching it and it's in English when it starts out and the mouths match perfectly. And I'm like, this can't be the right movie. And then you just realize it's because it's the Americans coming in trying to steal their shit. Yep. And then it, it cuts over, right? <laughs> it really did throw me for a loop. <laughs> So uh, the boss then gives Mr. Green the uh, new safety instructions that uh, he needs to post around the site. And if you look at him, it barely shows him, but it is the actual instructions from the short. It's like no drinking, no cussing, no smoking. Which I saw the movie before I saw the shorts, and I just simply took it as it's Santa Claus and you don't want to be on the naughty list, right? So you yeah. cannot see the shorts and still be okay with it. Oh, absolutely. But uh, <laughs> Mr. Green uh, immediately cusses because I think he's like, what the fuck is this? This is funny shit. Watch your mouth. It's Christmas time. So let's act like it. So we cut outside and we see two young boys watching as the drilling carries on. And the next drill sample that comes out has hit ice beyond the sawdust. And Riley takes the uh, the ice sample and it's like he's holding a fucking child. He's like so happy to have it. And he holds it and he <laughs> says, always believe. And then he gathers the crew around for a speech. And he says that they're standing on an ancient burial mound. It took the Sami people of Lapland centuries to build this mound. You have 24 days to open it. Roll up the sleeves. Repair the dynamite. Do what you do best. You have a grave to rob. What in the fuck are they digging up? So uh, the boys that are watching all this unfold, we have the older one, Yuso, tells the younger one, Pietari, who I'm going to be calling Peter from here on out, hmm. um, that it's a grave because he's understanding what they're saying and that the men are going to blow it up. And the boys exit the site via a hole that they've cut in the fence. And Peter says he thinks Santa's buried there. And Yuso calls him a baby for still believing in Santa and tells him that his dad pays a local to come to his house that there is no Santa. Damn. Then right behind them, the top of the fucking mound explodes. Title card. But it's just the Rare Exports logo at this point. So we then, over the opening credits, we then see a montage of Peter reading these old books that spell out the truth about Santa, that he punishes the naughty and even eats them. And he also walks barefoot in the snow. These are all things to remember as we carry on. Our countdown quickly jumps. One day to Christmas. <laughs> what the fuck happened? <laughs> Peter's dad, Raul No, who I can't say that either, so he's going to be dad for the rest of this, is setting up a wolf pit. <laughs> and uh, if anybody doesn't know what a wolf pit is, it's when you dig a hole in the ground, put spikes in it, and then cover it up. And so he's building that, and he's got a pig head hovering over it as bait. And he's, like, eating an apple when he gets done and then shoves what's left of the apple in the pig head, which is just a great little shot. Yeah. Totally not important, but a great little shot. And uh, he's wanting to know where the fuck his son is because, you know, we got work to do this. These guys are roughing it. This is like not in a town. This is a village in the middle of the damn snow in the middle of nowhere. I think I saw this family on an episode of Off the Grid, actually. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he throws a snowball at the window to wake up Peter, who has fallen asleep reading one of his Santa books. And he even has this oh shit alarm that kind of works as he's waking up. And he's what he's doing is he's, he's sleeping or sitting right at his bedroom window. And he's like up on a pile of stuff. And then he's got like keys and shit on his wrist that'll fall down into pots and pans should he fall asleep. And this is going to get explained why he's doing this, because we've just jumped from the 24 days to the one day. And we will find out later what Peter's been experiencing as this goes along. And why does he have this fucked up, crazy, demonic Santa book? Dude, why does he? He's got like 20 of them. (laughs) And and do they mention hell deer? Everyone wants to know. (laughs) They don't mention the deer at all. So now that Peter's awake and half naked, I'm going to bring that up because of something later on in the movie. He heads over to his advent calendar and he tapes the last door shut, the 24th. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he looks back out his window and he sees these tracks on the roof, like something had made it all the way up to the little roof that because he's on the second story. Right. Up on a little piece of roof up to his window. So Peter goes out to his dad's shop where dad's hacking away on the rest of the pig. And... uh, (laughs) He's, he's standing in there. He's like, he's not supposed to be in there. So he comes in and he's got his eyes closed and shit. And he asks his dad if he's been on the roof and why did he turn off the lights? And he's like, no one's going to see them. And you know, dad doesn't really care. It's just, you know, kid being a kid and dad, like we got shit to do. Right. Cause I get the dad's the butcher for this like farming community. Right? Exactly. And his dad tells him to get dressed for the roundup and uh, they head to the roundup and there they meet at a small camp next to a large pen. And dad gives Peter his first gun. He's old enough to have it now. And Piparian, who I'll be calling Pip, screams for everyone to stand back. I fucking love Pip. Pip. <laughs> Pip Pip, and, and Amo are both awesome, but Pip's really fucking cool. Anyways, um, so he tells everybody to stand back and he kicks on an electric fence that he's put on the pin and like lights are exploding and shit. But like, oh, OK, cool. They've got this thing set up to where they're, they're going to round something up. And uh, Yusuf's there as well. And uh, he gives Peter some more Santa shit um, as far as believing in Santa and the reindeer begin to arrive and everybody's happy because like, holy shit, soon our our freezers will be packed with meat and they'll be able to fucking survive because they're in the middle of the damn wilderness. Problem is, there's only two deer and they're like, Mm -hmm. what the shit? Where's the rest of them? And while all this is going on, they can see the mound where the digging's going on in the background. They're like, we need to go that way. So they head off towards it to try to find the other deer. And once they get over to the gate, they find the deer. Or at least what's left of them, because there's just pieces of deer and blood all over the fucking snow. And they talk about how it might be wolves or this or that. Then Amo points out a hole in the fence and Amo is Yuso's dad. That'll come up later on. And he immediately blames the Russians, (laughs) 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 which is weird to me because it's made clear that they're the American crew. But he calls them Russians. I don't care. Later on, he's just going to be like fucking foreigners. So I don't think he cares either. Well, that's because Finland and Russia border each other all the way down the east side of Finland, west side of Russia. And I don't know about how politics are over there, but maybe the Finns are afraid the Russians are going to invade them, right? Yeah, maybe. So Peter and Yuso are kind of far back from the men while they're all investigating the fence and everything. And Peter tells Yuso, he's like, you know, it's our fault. We cut the fence. And maybe we should say something. Yuso's like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you if you squeal. We were never here. Don't say shit. Right. And uh, the men then calculate their loss of all these deer at around $85,000 plus 22% value added tax. (laughs) The vat tax, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Remember the 22% vat tax. Meanwhile, we've got Peter kind of poking around the reindeer and he lifts one of them up and he sees bare human footprints in the snow, just like he saw in his book about Santa. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) 
So by now, Peter's dad's had enough, and he shoots the gate open so they can rush the site and confront the crew for killing their fucking livelihood. And they head up the mound, and they find no one. It's just a frozen, abandoned site with a big hole near it. A lot like the thing. <laughs> like and That's we're exactly gonna, what I thought. <laughs> and like, we're going to have, they're going to be lighting flares and shit. Like, it's so going to feel like the thing. <laughs> and uh, Peter is now 100% convinced they've dug up Santa. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, this is just like in my books. And we're going to get more details about what he read in the books and why he's believing this so fastly. And uh, once he's back home, he fucking staples the 24th door shut on his advent <laughs> calendar. Like, no Santa. It's like, a, what is it when What's-His-Nuts is in jail in uh, Half-Baked? No nasty name. And he's looking at the picture of him and he's... <laughs> Squirrel master, protect me. <laughs> no, I'm somebody's bitch. Anyways, <laughs> so Peter then kits up with all the athletic equipment in the house and cardboard to protect his butt cheeks. And he's got Yusuf over there hanging out and he tells him his Santa theory. And he's like, look, this is how, you know, it's like bullshit. This is just a fairy tale. And he's like, no, this is what happened. The Sammy people lured Santa out onto a frozen lake where he fell through and he ended up encased in ice. Then the next spring during the fall, they pulled the frozen chunk of Santa out and they buried him under a giant pile of rocks as high as the sky. Like this is, this is the shit. Then there's a name for the mountain and I forgot to note it. And uh, Yusuf is still like, whatever you fucking child. And, and he bounces and uh, we're, Peter's going to be dressed like this for the rest of the fucking movie now. And that's why I wanted to make a point earlier. Like he's hmm. so vulnerable and like half naked little boy in his tidy whiteies. And then like, he's going to have to become a man as the movie goes on. Dude, this is so sad. So, so Peter and his dad sit down to have some fucking gingerbread cookies like mom used to make and it's Christmas Eve. And it's really, really clear without it being said that mom's out of the picture and dad's just doing the best he can. And I don't know if this is an, a credit to both of their acting or the fact that they are father and son. Mm -hmm. You can just watch it and not read the sub subtitles and their body language and their inflection when they're talking like feels so fucking honest. You know what I mean? Like mom might have actually died in real life. Yeah. Like it, it, I hate to even go there, but that's how it feels. Now mom didn't die in real life because because, oh, okay. because of mom, the makers of the movie are actually the boy's uncle in real life. Okay. Uh, his mom is their sister. I meant to mention that earlier. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's how tight this production was. Like, we don't have any money. Right. We got to have family and friends do it. Like, I love it. I love it. It's like the Kevin Smith story, only this is much better made. Um, anyway. And, yeah. and even the shorts on YouTube, it's a lot of the same actors. Yes. Meanwhile, we get to see where the digging crew buggered off to and why they were missing from the site. Well, uh, they're packing up at some offsite area where we can see like like warehouses and hangars and shit in the background. And uh, Riley radios Mr. Green to see how things are going. Is the cargo ready? Cargo? Don't you understand? It still has a pulse! Calm down, Mr. Green. Just follow the safety instructions. Fuck your safety instructions! What the fuck? Well, since he said what the fuck, all of a sudden violence ensues around him and the whole crew disappears right. and their fucking hard hats are all that's left around. <laughs> and then Mr. Green spots someone standing in the snow, but all we see are legs. Black screen, zero days to Christmas. Could they not just say Christmas Day? I know, right? So it's Christmas morning and we see Peter's dad pull a burnt to shit roast out of the oven that he had put <laughs> in the night before. 
once again, father doing the best he can, you don't cook anything overnight. Like in a slow cooker or a crock pot, yeah, but you don't cook anything in the oven overnight. You're fucked. <laughs> and uh, he's like, well, shit. <laughs> and the fire's out too, to boot. So he goes over to the fireplace and he start, he's putting fucking paper and kindling in there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he nearly gets ate by a fucking bear trap that Peter had put in there to stop Krampus. And I'm going to say Krampus because of this, because of the story, even though he's referred to as Santa, he is the vengeful. I'm going to punish you, Santa, not the, hey, let's have some shit from the store, Santa. So Peter is now grounded <laughs> and uh, he's like, can I at least go outside for a piss? And he goes out um, and he doesn't say piss. He says we. Um, but once he's outside, <laughs> he sees that the bait's gone from the wolf pit that dad had made down the hill. And they go to investigate and they don't find a wolf. They just find blood and feathers and oh shit, it's a man, but only dad sees the human hand of the man and Peter's looking away at the time and dad shoes him away. Now, uh, remember how I said earlier that Yuso said that Peter's dad just paid some dude in town to dress up as Santa. Yeah. Well now Pip shows up and he's fully decked out in his Santa gear. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, <laughs> Peter's dad's like, um, sorry, you're here. I've ran into some shit and I need you to help. And he's like, look, I've got this many hours before I got to be like, nah, you're helping me. <laughs> he's like, oh, Jesus, what did you do? And they're, they're looking through dude's clothes, dude from the pit, and they find an American passport on him. And they pronounce Brian Johnson, which I, I think is the name that they read on it, as poorly as I pronounce their names. So tit for tat okay. on that one. <laughs> And uh, they're both like, what are we going to do? And then they both turn and look at the bandsaw and we all know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter's digging around in the pit and he finds this sack with a large straw mannequin in it. It's like nearly the size of him. It's like a life-size boy doll. It's really freaking odd. It's creepy is what it fucking is. Yeah, it is. He then heads over to dad's shop and he's peeking in through the window just as the guys are getting the corpse close to the bandsaw blade that's now running. They're about to start cutting into him, and he twitches, and then he starts to breathe. And then he starts to sniff, but he's not moving around. And what we can see real quick in one shot is that he's sniffing out Peter in the window because there's a very yeah. quick shot over Peter's shoulder where he's looking down where his dad and Pip turn and look at him, and you can see the guy on the table turn his head towards him. And uh, Peter, of course, runs away because now he's been spotted. And his dad takes off to find him while Pip stays behind. And Peter just happens to flag down the sheriff just as dad almost gets to him. So Peter hops in the sheriff's truck and they go driving and his dad's tailing him and they end up at Amos. And the sheriff says that he's been on strange calls all morning. And the call to Amos is for his potato sacks. All of them have been stolen with the potatoes left behind. <laughs> Right. Very odd. And they're all commenting on how odd this is. And the sheriff's like, like, you know, you think that's odd? The whole village had their radiator stolen last night. It's going to be a very cold Christmas. And uh, Amo's like, my wife's hair dryer was stolen as well. And, <laughs> and uh, so one of them's like, well, who would want that? And he's like, oh, it's cutting edge technology in Russia. Yeah. And at this point, I'm trying to figure out what decade does this fucking movie take place in? I think it's modern, and later on, we're just going to realize that Amo really hates foreigners, and he was just cracking wise. All I can think about is American parts, the Russian parts, all made in Taiwan. <laughs> this is how we fix things on the Russian space station. <laughs> the first thing I thought of. Yes. Yeah. 
So while the men continue to talk about what's going on, Peter goes upstairs to check on his buddy Uso. But what he finds in his bed is another straw doll. And this one has hair on it that's a lot like Uso's. So it's like these these dolls are being left behind in place of children. And uh, he takes it outside and shows it to the the men. And they all shrug it off because Yusa's the kind of kid that sneaks off to chase girls. Like, you know, this is what we did when we were kids. You know, Peter, you're <laughs> just little. You don't understand. You don't have a mullet and a rat tail and a fucking long earring. Dang it. Like, you don't get it. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Peter's dad then says to Amo, he's like, you speak English. I need you to come do something with me. And uh, he gets brought back to the shop and our trio is now complete like the trio we had in the shorts. But before we get there, like back on site, them two, the uh, the corpse, Mike Tyson's the shit out of Pip. I don't mean he boxes ass. I mean, he bit his ear off. <laughs> right, right. And we're just seeing Pip standing outside with a rag on his ear and like looking down at the at the blood. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he's putting it back on there. He's like, this is really fucked. <laughs> yeah. All just body language and expressions. It's so good. They ain't sewing this back on. <laughs> no. Depends if he shits it out whole or not. <laughs> so once the three are all there, they begin the interrogation. And th- this old man's nude now at this point. And you you got to picture like a very, very frail, anemic, anorexic version of the old man from Home Alone. Um, yeah. Yeah. With uh, his nutsack hanging down to his knees. Yes. And like, you feel bad for this guy. Like, it looks like if someone farts in his direction, it'll blow him apart. And <laughs> They're coming at him with this. And that's how the movie ends. What a fascinating <laughs> precedence we just set here. So while they begin the broom handle interrogation, we see Peter inside and he's calling all the kids in the village and everyone that he calls, they're unaccounted for. They're not there for some reason. And we cut back to, to Amo, who's now beating the shit out of this old dude with a broom. And he <laughs> still refuses to speak or even move. He's just curled up in an ass ball, and that's it. No matter what they yell at him in English or Finnish, what language would you say for? Anyways, no matter what they say or do, he just sits there. And as soon as Peter bangs on the door, he perks up, just like he did when he was on the saw table. Right. And Peter's dad goes outside to shoo him away, and Peter's like, I, I need you to spank me. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've been naughty. I need you to whip me. And, of course, all that's going through Peter says, like, okay, so so Krampus Santa comes and uh, eats children who are naughty. I need to have my ass beat, so I've been punished, and I'm no longer naughty, and that way I'll survive. He uh, even recommends a no- number of licks. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he tries to tell his pops what he did and that all the other kids are now gone, but he's going through it real fast, and Dad's like, what the fuck are you rambling about? And right. if you pay attention during this scene, you could hear Amo inside just going to town on the old dude with the fucking broom handle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then Pip comes out to grab dad and they go back in and Amo turns around with the two halves of the fucking broom handle. And he's like, he bit the damn thing in half. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we mean exterior damage with this broom handle. This isn't like Jeffrey Dahmer style. No, 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 no. That's cramp ass that you've brought that up before. Um, <laughs> Shit, what have I? You did. You did in the, the Krampus episode. I don't remember what the setup was, but you said something. And I'm like, what? And you're like, oh, that's cramp ass. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm after like, listen to that. How much eggnog had I drank at that point? 
So now Peter's inside and the old man immediately stands up at the side of Peter. Peter's dad grabs him and he's like, okay, you two obviously know each other. What the fuck's going on? And Peter's like, he's been watching us because he's Santa Claus. So the next thing you know, they've got this old fucker strung up like a deer while they just sit and stare at him passing around this bowl of gingerbread cookies. (laughs) Right. And they're all like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like my kid's going crazy. This guy fell in a legal pit. I wasn't supposed to have to begin with because it's illegal to kill any wild animal like that. And this is just a really odd fucking Christmas. Then they hear a voice come from the old man's stolen jacket. It's Riley, the boss man, radioing Mr. Green. And of course, upon hearing this, the adults all look at each other and they're like, holy fucking shit, the kid's right. Right. And they immediately grab the radio and set up a meet so they can collect some fucking ransom from boss dude because they've got Santa held hostage. This is going (laughs) to work out. We're going to save Christmas since all our fucking deer got killed. These assholes deserve it. So turnabout's fair play. So they go to the location, which if you pay real close attention, it's the same location where we saw Mr. Green earlier with these warehouses in the background. And Riley comes in on a fucking chopper. And the this is where you very clearly get to see the name of the company. And it's Sub-Zero. <laughs> it's just <laughs> funny as shit to me. But anyways, um, he hops off the chopper. And uh, they've got, quote unquote, Santa in Pip's Santa Claus suit in a cage in the back of dad's truck. And Riley comes over and he inspects the cargo and uh, he gives the trio a little more intel about their hostage. Move slowly and do exactly as I say. This is not Santa. What? It's one of Santa's little helpers. This is the point where I'm like, what the fuck? One of his helpers? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. shit. How many yeah, are there? I'm, I'm so with you on that, dude. First time watching this, I'm like, he's Santa. He's Santa. He's Santa. This is stupid. He's Santa. What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not stupid. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter wanders <laughs> over to the hangar with 24 huge on the door. So not hangar 18 where the UFOs are, but hangar 24 where Santa Krampus is. He, uh, he says it's the last door, and he puts his little stuffed dog down, and he heads inside. Now, his little stuffed dog, I think his name is Vupa. Does that sound right? Something like that? Maybe. And yeah. he, he's got it on this little leash, and he's been dragging around, sleeping with it, hugging it the whole movie. It's like this is the point where, where Peter's going to have to nut up, and he leaves his, his binky basically behind, and he goes inside. I, I do want to point out the it being Hangar 24 is like a neat little... Like crossover with the advent calendar, don't open the doors to 24. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So we don't see Peter once he goes in. We just see him go through the man door next to the big doors. And then we go right back to the men outside. And all of a sudden, all the lights go out because the men won't be quiet and nice like Riley's telling them to do. They don't understand what the fuck's going on. And he's speaking English. So then they're having to ask uh, Amol, what the fuck is he saying? And... All of a sudden, all these elves start to surround the area. It's more naked old guys than Ari Aster could pull together, and we're just getting started. (laughs) I've heard of, like, Polish sausage, but is this like a Finnish sausage fest? (laughs) This is definitely a sausage fest. (laughs) 
There, I don't think there's a single shot that's above the waist. I think they're all fucking full frame. <laughs> so boss dude immediately takes a pickaxe to the back of the heads and all the elves charge junk just to swinging. Are they referenced as elves? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I heard them called uh, helpers. I just couldn't remember the, the elf thing. And to be honest, I've only seen this movie once, but <laughs> I'm just curious lore wise if they referred to as elves regularly. Okay. So the trio looking to the only shelter there is 24 go running inside and they're like, Oh my God, we're all fucked. And like the elves are already banging on the doors and shit. And Peter's just standing inside staring up and they're like, Peter, what are you doing? And we finally get the reveal of this giant block of ice with these huge Krampus horns poking out of it. And it's surrounded by every radiator space heater oven and hairdryer in town along with all the missing children bound in potato sacks at its feet. So it's all mm-hmm. coming together now. Oh, God, the elves stole all the heating elements. They're going to thaw his ass out, and you can hear its heart beating. Whenever they go in there, you just hear its heart constantly beating, which is really fucking yeah. cool. Yeah, it's a nice little subtle touch there to add to the uh, stress factor, right? <laughs> and uh, Amo can hear Yuso and goes straight to him, pulls him out of his sack. He's bawling like a little bitch. Dad's holding him. He starts bawling like a little bitch. Pip and Pops are unhooking all the appliances and trying to use them to barricade the doors. And Pip even starts to have a breakdown. Like, what are we going to do? They're never going to stop. Da, 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 da. And uh, Peter stares up at a big gaping hole in the roof above the Krampus. And he comes up with a plan. He turns around. He starts yelling at everybody trying to get their attention. Nobody's paying attention. So he fires his fucking shotgun that his dad gave him when they went to the roundup that he was finally old right. enough to have. And this is his first time using it. It's like, now you're a man. And I got to do a weird segue real quick. There's a YouTuber called uh, Count Jackula, and he okay. does horror movie stuff, and I'm pretty sure he does horror video game stuff, too. Um, but I happened to catch his episode on this, and it gets to, like, this part of the movie, and he just lets it play and plays the fucking South Park, now you're on my own, on my own, my own, my own, <laughs> over it. And it's <laughs> funny as shit. <laughs> But that's what's going on here. He's he's nutting up. And he tells the guys, he's like, look, as long as the kids are here, the elves won't leave. It's going to have to be Peter or Santa. And he suggests Santa. And he yanks a tarp down to reveal a fuck ton of explosives that are sitting right behind him. Believe it or not, guys, third act. This movie's only 80 minutes long. So we don't know what uh, what Peter's plan is, but we're about to watch it play out. And... We see Pip distract the elves outside with gingerbread cookies so he can make his way to the (laughs) chopper because Pip's a pilot. It was revealed earlier when they go to the roundup that they had to go out on snowmobiles because Pip couldn't get the chopper started. So this isn't absurd. So meanwhile, all the sacked kids are tied up in cargo netting. And Peter jumps on the uh, testicular looking rig that all the kids are now (laughs) in. And he's got a radio in hand and he radios for Pip to take off. And uh, he tells his dad and Amo to do their jobs and he'll be fine. And uh, the helicopter takes off with the nutsack of kids flying away. And uh, the guys left behind start drilling all into the the Krampus ice block and loading it the fuck up with explosives. And we come back outside and we see that what the chopper's doing is luring (laughs) away a sea of nude old dudes. <laughs> There's so many of them. And that's all VFX shots that ever them running. Like it's not just, they took five of them and then replicated them. Like 
every bit of that, like the the chopper flying through the trees and, and the, every bit of that CGI. Could you imagine having to explain to your parents that you were the guy that spent 58 hours making sure the sack swung properly for realism? I know, right? Can you imagine being like in a meeting about an arguing which physics engine to use? It's like, look, we're not making dead or alive beach volleyball here. We're trying to make dong swing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my shit. god merry christmas everybody <laughs> <laughs> oh did y'all expect anything less from us <laughs> so uh once they've got all the uh, naked old dudes out of town uh peter radios up to pip and he tells him to head to the pins and pip's like why and peter says pretend they're reindeer and pip's like oh fuck yeah i get it i get it yes <laughs> and that's when we all get it too <laughs> which is great <laughs> And this is yeah. why I was expecting the random Russian stolen, you know, 50 cal man mounted on the side of the helicopter in the bay door to take out the Santas, but it, it didn't go that route. It did not. So we cut back to the hangar and uh, we see dad telling Amo, uh, now you know how Santa can be in a zillion places all at once because he's got all these little naked helpers. And, uh, <laughs> and while he's telling him this, uh, Amo fires up a chainsaw. And then we cut outside and we just hear the chainsaw running and then we see them coming out. They've cut off their fucking trophy horns from the Krampus <laughs> and uh, they'll load them up in their truck. So back over to the pin, uh, we see Peter jump down from the sack to the light tower that's at the middle of the pin. He's going to go down and they're going to catch the elves. This is awesome. And he goes and he gets the gate open and he radios up to Pip to tell his dad what he did because he's not going to be able to make it. He can't jump from the tower back up to the sack. Like falling is one thing. Jumping 30 feet up is kind of impossible. <laughs> and he drops the radio after he radios to Pip. The swarm of naked old dudes approaches. And I just got to say that seeing a small boy being surrounded by all these old dudes with their dongs flopping around is highly <laughs> fucking disturbing. <laughs> it is. It is very fucking uncomfortable to watch. And, uh, Peter closes his eyes and he calls out to his father. He literally just closes his eyes and he goes, daddy. And like, that's even worse, man. Like, like this yeah. is just bad. So a uh, quick cut to the backwoods trophy hunting explosive setting duo as they blast Santa Krampus to hell. And it looks cool. <laughs> and it's awesome because dad's in the back of the truck and he's got the wire on a little thingy and it's just rolling out while Amos driving his ass off. And then he hits the switch and he's like, Merry Christmas. And Amos like and bloody fucking New Year, whatever the fuck he says. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, after the blast, we go back over to the pen and all the elves just stop their advance on Peter and they drop the farm implements they've been wielding as they've been chasing him through the wilderness. <laughs> farm implements made a comeback. It did. <laughs> Because obviously the link has been severed. I think I'll go for a walk. So the day has been saved. Pip flies off to take all the other kids home and we fade into the next morning. Everybody's there at the pen. We got Peter, the trio, Yuzo, and uh, they gaze upon the 198 Santa Clauses that they've got in this pen. And Peter asks, what's that worth? And uh, <laughs> Yuzo does some quick math in his head and he surmises, well, if one's worth 85K, then 198 would come out to around 16.8 million. And Amo, of course, chimes in with plus 22% VAT. <laughs> <laughs> we go black again, 312 days to Christmas. We see the guys washing the Santas like they're in fucking county lockup. It's powdered sugar. The lice hate the sugar. Delicious. Uh, good. Fade to black. 76 days to Christmas. They're teaching the Santas how to sit with a child on their knee and give them a gift. 
And as they pass, they get their Santa hats. Now in the short, they got this one that really won't stop eating the doll. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it takes a while for him to get it. Fade to black, 24 days to Christmas. Uh, we see a Santa Claus, Father Christmas, getting crated up, and it's off to be shipped to Zanzibar, just like we saw him do in the short when they crated up and stapled the, la- the shipping label on there. And we see that the team has a full-blown Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse packed and ready to <laughs> ship. The doors open and we see Pip and he's got this big ass fucking cargo plane and he's ready to fly. We then get title card proper with the logo and name and credits. And this movie is so fucking different. And I know a good chunk of that is because it's foreign and that there's normalcies that we're used to as as far as American listeners that, that we're, we're more used to that even normal things from elsewhere seem different. That is not lost right. on me. It's not a full-blown, oh, my God, this movie's so zany, you have to see it. No, it just feels different. Like, the whole vibe of the movie's weird. Like, it it feels like at some points it's about to veer off into to sleigh bells and, and a warm fire mm-hmm. and everybody's happy, but it never goes there. And it never veers off into hyper-violent, let's slaughter all these naked old dudes. It stays in this weird fucking lane right. that almost feels like it had to. And if it moved out of that at all all it would have just destroyed the movie yeah i i can see that and i agree with that my question though is who decided to buy a bunch of old pedophile cannibalistic <laughs> santa clauses from these guys like well, i need that explained to me well the whole thing the way it's portrayed in the the shorts is these this is the santa clauses that are basically like the whole joke with um peter's dad hires Pip it. to play santa right i get it i just wondered how they marketed this Oh, like, like, like real, real. Don't worry. We've de-liced them and taught them that eating children's bad. Okay. 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 Like, like how, how does this pass the, the smell test for yeah. like an actual business? Yeah. yeah. Like how, how does the, the Simon mall people, right? Like, no, like, <laughs> oh, we're getting a legit father Christmas from fucking film. This is worth 85 K guys. Well, like, let's, like how, how does that go down? I'm willing to bet. Okay, they can't unionize because they just there's no way there there'd be no more mall Santas. But I guess they've probably got their <laughs> own guild, maybe kind of okay, like okay, okay, we use guild like yeah, yeah. So if they've got their own guild that they've all got to go through, um, this is where they come from. And like guys that wander in and sign up off the street, they make it past the first round of cuts, and then they get told we got too many Santas. Sorry, come back next year. And uh, these are the professional ones, and they just <laughs> shut the fuck up and they do their jobs. They take very low wages and. And That's eat children go sometimes. <laughs> and eat children from time to time. <laughs> and this, I, I enjoy this movie. I'm just, I'm just poking fun at it. But this is where I was talking about movies taking themselves seriously versus embracing the camp. Yeah. And this movie's full of camp, which is what makes it fantastic. But it embraces the serious, which I feel like is a negative at times in this movie. Just like any other film. Um, I think the originality helps mask it a little bit. But like. You have all these crazy unanswered questions that I wouldn't have asked if it was done as a comedy film like the YouTube shorts. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it is a good movie. And this movie has been recommended to me by every horror nerd I know in real life, every horror fan that would watch me stream Dead by Daylight when I used to stream. People have emailed it to me from us doing Christmas episodes in the past. I'm glad I finally saw it. And it's entertaining, and I'll recommend it to others, but it is not on the rewatch list like some of the others. No, this, like, like we have our set Christmas movies that we watch every year, and it's Gremlins, Jack Frost, Krampus, uh, A Christmas Horror Story, 
and I feel like I'm Nightmare Before Christmas. Like those are our Christmas movies every year. This will yeah. not be in that rotation. It's not good enough for that. But I'll tell you what, it, it's amazing that when the wife watched it, I didn't because she's like, oh, it's got subtitles. And I'm like, fuck this, I'm out. And she finished it <laughs> and and she immediately put it on. I don't know if she put it on her Amazon wish list or just told me. She's like, I want this on DVD when it comes out. Or maybe she went and did like I did and Googled and found it somewhere. Like, oh shit, it's already released. I want it. And I was like, why the okay. fuck do you want this so bad? And I'm like, maybe I'll try watching it with you when, uh, when it comes in because uh, maybe it'll be dubbed. And when it came in, it said... Uh, languages, you know, Finnish and English. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'll watch it with you. And then we tried to watch it again and I'm like, yay, English. And then it, after five minutes, it wasn't English. And I really wanted to give it a good chance as much as she loved it. And from just poking around, like you said, there's like so many people that love this movie. And that's why I was like, fuck it. I'm going to put this on my list for the podcast to force me to watch it. And I'm so glad I did. It's so fun. The, the father son dynamic, like tears at your heartstrings without going there it's just implied yeah. it's so good that it's only implied and like you said about you know had it been more funny it it would have just you wouldn't have the questions but it's not so serious that it's like goddamn you better explain yourself it's right. just uh, unapologetic about what it is and it's yeah. like it gets it, a it, pass it's its own thing right yeah like i i think if it would have been a, a little bit more leaned on the comedy i would have enjoyed it even more and it w might would made the rotation but like it it's a whole movie in its own and i do want to say something about you know we keep poking jokes at like not liking him to watch foreign films there's lots of great foreign films out there and i just don't I like know, reading some people subtitles yeah, yeah sometimes the subtitles are distracting i get really distracted by the mouths not matching when it's overdubbed i'm sure that has something with my adhd like nails on chalkboard <laughs> I'm very visual on music. I'm looking at lighting and, and, and like angles and stuff like that. I always pay attention to all these details. Every movie I watch, I don't know why I've always been like that. And I feel like I don't get to examine the films as much when I'm having to read the subtitles or getting distracted by the overdub. Yep. But I, I do want to quote the director of the Korean movie Parasite, Bong Joon-ho, because he won you know all those fucking Oscars a few years ago, right? And he said one of the most prolific quotes I've ever heard. Once you overcome the one-inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. And he's right. It's just some of us not need to stop being snobs and get over it and try to watch these movies. And you get like hidden treasures like this. Yep. You might find a rare export out there. <laughs> huh? 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 Dad puns. I still got them. Oh, that's great. Wow. I didn't think of that. That's, that's fucking wordception. <laughs> I, I saw him uh, say that live on the Oscars or whatever. And I was like, damn. That's awesome. He's right, though. There, there is a lot of great foreign films out there, and and there's some of them like we might hit at some point that get remade as American movies, and usually the originals better. Like Let the Right One In, or what's the original called? Like Let Me In, right? I, I don't remember. And I saw the original before I saw the American remake, and they're both good movies in their own right, but the original one is a lot fucking creepier. So, well, that being said, we really like to do our Christmas horror episodes because we are family members. We have spent most of the Christmases in our near 40 years of age together, like a good number of them anyways. Oh, yeah. And had lots of traditions that overlapped. And our love of horror lets us get to talk about these movies. And I'm trying to expand my horror Christmas rotation, but I'm the only person in the horror in the house right now. So it's a little, <laughs> little slow. We get a lot of Christmas vacation, elf, Christmas story. That's our rotation right now. But I'm trying to have my like 
late night booze induced list and and I, I got through my Santa sleigh from last year and Christmas horror story and um, I really like Better Watch Out. There's a few of them. So I'm starting to build that list, and we're just going to have to see how that works out over the years. But I think it's neat that these two holidays mesh so well. Yep. But that's it for our Christmas 2021 episode. So you guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode when we start season four. As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcast. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. It's Christmas. There are magical dark forces out there. People wake up. Merry Christmas, everybody.